0: this is Jocko podcast number 353 with Echo Charles and me Jocko Willink good evening echo good evening my brave fellows you have done all I asked you to do and more than can be reasonably expected but your country is at stake your wives your houses and all that you hold dear you have worn worn yourselves out with fatigues and hardships but we know not how to spare you. If you will consent to stay one month longer, you will render that service to the cause of liberty and to your country, which you probably can never do under any other circumstances. And that right there was a quote from George Washington encouraging his men to re-enlist in the army, and he made that speech on Tuesday December 31st 1776 this was less than a week after the successful attack at Trenton and great victory for Washington's army the one that everybody knows about crossing the Delaware River and able to achieve this victory but the men had suffered greatly Prior to that, they had lost the Battle of the White Plains in October, uh, the Battle at Forts of Washington in November. Their uniforms, when you when you read about what condition they were in, they were just in tatters and rags at this point. Some of them didn't have shoes. By the way, December in the Northeast, so this was the last day of the year, December thirty first, and. Interestingly most of the soldiers enlistments they'd enlisted for a year or two years and so a lot of the soldiers their enlistments were up at the end of the year and This was a potential disaster for the army But through this personal appeal Washington convinced about half the men to stay and carry on and They were able to defeat the British at Princeton and kind of revived the morale of the Continental Army but that just put that question in my into my mind is when is enough enough and we call on our service men and women to do so much and it's amazing when they decide to continue to serve and it's an honor here to have one of those men with us tonight retired SEAL 26 years of service, husband, father, teammate, friend of mine, who deployed to Iraq, deployed to Afghanistan, Africa, Asia, Europe, South America, Central America, and he's looking to continue his service now. His name is Derek Van Orden. We used to call him Van-O. That's right. Van-O, Van Derek. Yeah. Thanks for coming down, man.
1: Thank you for having me. Good they, to see you. It's good to see you too, they now call me DVO. DVO. I don't know why. I mean, I do. It's because oh, you got to have the
0: three letters. Uh, you know what? That's man. that's a little too close to deviant. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like that.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. Speaking of that, man. So I've never been to your place. Here. Uh-huh. It's it's marvelous. And uh, went to the head. That's the bathroom for folks who are in the navy. And uh, like. 30 guys were just I was talking to Echo about this. They're all looking at me like, what are you doing here? <laughs> 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 I look like, you know, the hill and cape rolling in. But uh, it's a wonderful facility here, man. Yeah,
0: it's, uh, well, it's a mixed martial arts. So I guess your point is a mixed martial arts gym. It's it's literally the middle of our professional pro MMA practice is going on out okay. in the gym. So it's the, the Alliance team, which trains here out of victory Okay, uh, with some incredible fighters, some champs in there. Dominic Cruz just saw Dom. And so, yes, they're athletes in peak physique in the, in the prime of their athletic careers. Well, I'm certainly and in my prime. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like Doc Holiday. You are in your Stone. prime just like Doc Holiday, apparently, yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, no, awesome to see you, man. So <clears throat> let's, let's start at the beginning. Let's start sure. at where you came from. Let's figure out how you got here today. Okay. And let's, let's talk about that story. So where, right. when and where were you born?
1: Well, to begin in the beginning, as they say, um, I was raised in abject rural poverty uh, by a single mom. My dad was not honorable. No other way to describe that. He abandoned us when I was an infant, and um, I dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old. Hold
0: on a second. You got really quick through a lot of years. Oh, so, so I was. So you're
1: born. So I where? was, I was where born. I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My father abandoned us. We had to move in with my grandmother in Laverne, Minnesota. What's
0: Laverne, Minnesota? I ha- for some reason, I haven't heard of this metropolitan Well, you should city. have because
1: Ken <laughs> Burns uh, did one of his uh, documentaries called The War. And okay. And it featured the Palace Theater, which is on Main Street in Laverne. And we lived in the apartment above the Palace Theater once we got enough together because we had to live with my grandmother. Uh-huh. We, were, we were that poor.
0: So what's the, what's the population of Laverne?
1: <sighs> Gosh, I don't know
0: now. But it's a small town. It's a small town. What was your mom doing to make ends meet?
1: Uh, She was one of the first female sports reporters in the country. And uh, she's always been a stats head. I mean, she died nine years ago, eight years ago now. My mom, she's wonderful, Carol Ann Mulligan. She's like, you know, this tall, five foot nothing, and Mm -hmm. hard as woodpecker lips. Uh, (laughs) She's tough man. (laughs) And um, then she got a job with a company called INA, which became Cigna Insurance. And that's how we wound up in Wisconsin. So I grew up in Wisconsin, southeastern Wisconsin, because my mother got promoted.
0: Wait, Uh, so when did she leave sports
1: reporting? Oh my
0: gosh, that would have been. That was prior to the insurance thing? I don't need the years, but so she was doing that sort of.
1: Right, it was kind of on and off, that sort of stuff. Right, because it was just weird to have a woman reporting sports, Mm -hmm. you know. It's now it's. Now it's it's, common. Yeah, it's normative.
0: So she didn't, so she couldn't quite pull off a career in sports reporting. No, that wouldn't happen. But then she went to the insurance business. She started as a
1: secretary, okay, and uh, then she got promoted. She's very, she was very bright, and uh, she wound up retiring, running the West Coast for, um, Cigna. Okay, she ran this whole office, and it was interesting. She, um, she she's sitting around hearing these stories. It's it's fascinating because it, it helped me later on in my career, as a seal. That she was like, wait a minute, if we have this phone, and we anyone has a phone, they can call this number. And if they have the ability to understand what's going on with this phone, they can get everybody's insurance information. So she was one of the the first people to get into cybersecurity mm-hmm. because you had the modem. You know what I mean? It didn't matter. There was no encryption there. It was if you could have a modem, you know, that, was, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So she started doing, remember that? You guys don't remember you don't, <laughs> yeah. How old are you? 44. All right, you remember. You're old. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you remember dial-up?
3: Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yes, look sir. at that. I'm down yeah, for the dial. 100 AOL. Yeah, you got mail, son. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
1: you do. So, um, she did that, and and um, you know, I, not having a, a father figure as a dad, my uncle Bob, which is her oldest brother, she's one of ten Irish Catholics, Jeez. and uh, Bob left uh, Worthington, which is outside of Laverne, when he was 16 years old, and joined the Navy. Um, in world war two, there's this great picture of him. He's sitting like this with his hands over the rail of an ammunition oiler right off of Iwo Jima, no shirt on, you know, just hanging being a sailor (laughs) and it's just so fun, you know, but, um, yeah. So Gunny went to, um, he's in the Navy and then, uh, you know, they demobilized everybody after world war two. So he goes back to, to Minnesota, can't find a job. And he's like, man, I, I need a job. This is Uncle Bob we're talking this about. This is Robert Francis Mulligan. The oldest brother of your st- of your mom. Of my mom. Right? Got it. So he was one of 10. And uh, so he winds up going back to Minnesota. This is so fun because we're in San Diego. And uh, he goes to the Marine Corps and he's like, you know, can I join the Marines? He goes, yeah, there's some staff sergeant. there. And he goes, okay, here's your you know bus ticket to San Diego. And just. You'll go to the bus station, take your cab to MCRD, which is right down the road from here. And, um, you know, then you're there. And, you know, Bob's looking at his feet. It's museum feet. You know, you don't want to be in a museum anymore. You kind of shuffle your feet. And the staff sergeant looks at him. He goes, you don't have enough money for a cab, do you? And he's like, nope. So he gives him money for a cab. So Bob takes the bus, cab, MCRD, Marine Corps. You know, fast forward 20 years or whatever it is. He sees this warrant officer. And in the Marine Corps, they call him Gunners. And he's like... Hey man, I, I think I know you. And he, he goes, "Were well, you a recruiter in Minnesota. He goes, and I go, I'm the guy that you gave the money for the cab. And the gunner looks at him and goes, do you know how many people I had to give money for a cab? Mm-hmm. So we think that things are difficult now and we're getting, trust me, man, the economy's going right into the tank. It's bad. But the, the level of, um, affluence that we have in the United States of America now is unprecedented in the history of the world. And that goes across all spectrums. Um, I mean, that was like, you didn't have anything. Mm -hmm. So Bob does uh, 20 years. He goes to Korea, uh, grievously injured by a Chinese communist soldier throwing a Checom grenade into his foxhole. Um, And then he winds up uh, going to Laos in 1962. Retired, becomes a police officer in a small village in Wisconsin called Chenequa and retired as, as the chief of police, the fire chief, and the village administrator.
0: And he ends up being your, you say, your father figure. Correct. What do you have for brothers and sisters? I have one brother. Uh, older, older or younger? Uh, older. Okay. Yeah. Now, what, you're now going to school? You're living above this theater in Laverne?
1: Right, till I was in second grade. Okay. And then we moved, mom got promoted, and we moved to Heartland, Wisconsin.
0: Heartland? Heartland. Heart, just straight up Heartland, Heartland, Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, man. Um, so we grew up there. We're still very poor, and th- the apartments we live in now, I think, are Section Eight housing. Um, that we lived in then uh-huh. are now, I believe, Section Eight housing.
0: And now, this is where you go to middle school. Is this where you correct go to high school and stuff?
1: No. So I we mom got promoted again, mm-hmm. and then we moved to Oregon. Oh, okay, right. And that's where I was in high school for a year and two weeks of my sophomore year. Were you playing sports growing up? I wrestled, oh, okay, for my freshman year, um, but I never was into those types of things. I just I never was. Um, my brother's super big in professional sports. Clearly, my uh-huh. mother was because she was a sports <laughs> re- reporter, but um, but just never never did much for me. I don't. W- know why. Were
0: you what were you focused on? Were you f- focused on academics?
1: It's... No, you know what? I wasn't. I mean, I read. I've always been a huge reader. Mm-hmm. Like from when i was a little kid i was always reading and i was kind of more um, i don't know how to put that i just i was i was into exploring the world from a different perspective because so we were so poor i mean like dirt poor and i knew i could never collect material objects because of that and so from when i was just a little kid i started collecting relationships with people and i have the same friends that i've had since i was 14 because I understand the value of human beings, and I understand the value of the intrinsic nature of somebody's intellect, vice, you know, their physical being. And, and they're, they're clearly intertwined. One is part of another. But um, so for me, that's always been my thing. So I, I've always really focused on humans. And the, the additive value of people, you know, the synergistic effect of getting together, you, that's how you create. And, um, so I've always done that, you know, I've done some art stuff and whatever, but, um,
0: what's art stuff or whatever Well,
1: sketch? I write poetry and, you know, (laughs) believe it or not.
0: So, so when you're in, in school, are you like hanging out with the, the, no, uh, the the freaking poetry club? Is that what we got going on? No, I was, wait, were you wearing all black and like, uh, oh my gosh, uh, I dying your hair black. Hey,
1: who's wearing all black hair? (laughs) Let's just, you guys, is this camera working? So, no, man, I was kind of an outsider because again, you know, children can be very cruel and when I say we're poor, I mean we were poor so I was ostracized because of my poverty and then when we moved to Oregon, it was a very affluent community and, you know, I wasn't just on the other side of the tracks, I was on the other side of the, you know, so, that can be very, um, you can take that one or two directions, you know. You you can consciously choose your path. And you can choose to, to ride that into the dirt and get into this uh, destructive cycle. And we've seen this happen over and over again, you know, intergenerational poverty and all these things. And people feel like they have no way out. I mean, I was the – did you ever see someone walk around with their head down? Yeah. And they walk like that all the time. Somebody – I ran into him. Where did I see? They're like, oh, you're, so I had dropped out of high school. I was working, you know, I've been supporting myself since I was 16. And someone's like, oh, I remember you from high school. You're the guy that always walked with your head down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, you're right. So I started walking with my head up and just that simple. Wait, when was that? Um, I would have been 17 or 18. So
0: when you're 17 or 18, some, oh, someone said, oh, you used to walk around with your head down.
1: You're the guy. They recognized <sighs> me. You're the guy that would walk around with your head down because I was so, I wasn't self-absorbed, but it was like I felt like because we were so poor being, you know, just the the other yeah, that, you know, I shouldn't be interacting with the world around me. So I started, I put my head up and I was like that one physical gesture yeah. of going, you know, I am here and I'm part of the equation. And then that slowly opens up your aperture and you start looking around and you're like, oh, what's going on here? Can I do something here? Can I do something there? um you know the the visual feedback that you get from another person actually enhances your ability to have a relationship with them which i think is very important
0: yeah that that, it, that posture thing is huge i, I had jp denel on this podcast okay. and i work with him still but you know um i talked about and this was a long time ago i talked about the fact i was watching him like i'm in a like sitting in a doorwell or something on a street in ramadi and i'm watching jp like maneuver and he's like walking with his chest out and his head up like I come like here, just man. like, I'm here, I'm gonna get it. And you know, a lot of people, your instinct is to, especially in combat is to, is to get, sh- small. Yeah, get small, Get right? And he's like, no, chest up, head out. And that became a thing, you know, this whole posture thing. I mean, Jordan Peterson talked about, uh, uh, you know, stand up straight with your shoulders back. I was like, right. oh yeah, that's, that was JP to And it sounds like you made that transition at 17 years old when someone said, dude, you're walking around with your head down Yeah, that makes yeah. it di- makes a difference.
1: Yeah, it does. And I, I think that, uh, I don't think, I know that people now, you know, they can go, oh, this is a brash, you know, person. And, um, but when I sit down with them, talk to them, they understand that that's not posturing, it's posture. So mm-hmm. there's a difference between the two. One is in, is something that's internalized and the other one is a projection. So if you have posture, that's, right. that's you've internalized that, you're posturing, you're pretending. I don't pretend about really anything.
0: So you're going to high school, you're ostracized, and at some point you say you decide to drop out of high school.
1: I'm out. The institution no longer had anything to offer me. (laughs) (laughs) That is a direct quote from Animal House, I think, yeah. It's
0: a direct quote from what?
1: Animal House, I believe. Okay.
0: Uh, So you decide, what what, what did your mom say about this? She was not happy. Yeah, I was going to say there's no mom that's like, oh, cool, you're dropping out of high school. No. We're stoked.
1: She was not happy at all.
0: What was your plan?
1: I didn't have one. Just I'm I not had, going to school I'm anymore? My, I'm out. Had you already been working? Uh, yeah, I started working, I think, when I was 14. And so what are you doing? I work at a movie theater. Cool. And then I worked at a gas station. Roger. Yep, Chevron gas station. You pumping probably, gas, fixing cars.
0: And, and now you must... Uh, what's your reasoning behind dropping out of school? How are you coming to this conclusion as a 16-year-old?
1: It was... I, I don't think the environment was oppressive. I just... I just didn't fit. Okay. And I just didn't want to be part of that.
0: So you tell your mom what what was it in the school year? Was it in the summertime? It
1: was two weeks into my sophomore year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I did, I'm out, and then I moved out. And um, So what'd
0: you get for a job?
1: I was working at the gas station.
0: Oh, okay. So the gas station job, you yeah. move into what an apartment an or something? Apartment.
1: Yeah. That was it. I mean so you know, do I recommend this life path? I mean, I I did that, I got an undergraduate degree at 44, I got accepted to law school at 50, you know, that sort of stuff. Would I recommend this path? Um, That's a very complicated answer because in some ways I would say yes, in other ways I would not. Uh, And I I was thinking about this because I knew I was gonna come talk to you. Um, If you look at what's taking place in the world right now, um, I think if more people had more adversity growing up that they would be able to thrive more. I mean, I'm going to get elected to Congress next year. That's happening. Actually, this year, November, I'll Mm -hmm. take office next year. And I started from the meanest circumstances you possibly can. I mean, abject rural poverty, broken home, single mom, enlisted guy in the Navy. And, you know, I'm going to be in the highest levels of power in the most powerful country in the world within a single generation. I I tell people this all this all the time, man, you know, what's that called? It's the American dream, right? I'm, I'm the embodiment of the American dream. I lived on five of the seven continents as a frogman. Uh, Africa, I lived in villages, in Afghanistan, I lived in cosmopolitan European cities, Iraq, you know, all this, in Asia, everywhere. And it's the American dream, man. It's not the Argentinian dream or the. It, it's not. It's not the English dream, Irish dream. It's not. It's the American dream because this is the only place that the, my story can happen every day, like all the time. Mm-hmm. Look at Winsome Sears. Yeah. yeah you know, amazing. Immigrant to the United States. She's a lieutenant governor of Virginia. So that's what I think is is important about these growing up where things aren't handed to you as much. Because I've fought for everything I've had, everything my entire life. And I know what that means. And and then I can assign value to that.
0: So I'm guessing you didn't quite see this trajectory when you were putting some (laughs) premium gas into some guy's Chevy (laughs) for $4.75 an hour. Because I worked at Wendy's. Did you really? Yeah, I worked at Wendy's. What did you do there? Uh, I was the the burger cook guy. Okay. Which I would make burgers, and it's interesting. You go to Wendy's, the burgers are fresh, which means when some when eight people walk in, they they make a rough guess. Sure. You know, and they'll go put on ten. So you put on ten. Yeah. And if two of them don't sell, they go into a bucket, and that bucket gets turned into chili. But you know, I did not know that. Yeah. So I'm working at Wendy's. I I you know, and I knew I wanted to go in the military. At some point, at what point did the military seem like the call? Co- oh, actually, let me hear the worst day of, this, of the 17-year-old Van O working at uh, the gas station.
1: Not eating. <laughs> Just no food? Just not eating. You
0: not know, enough money.
1: You got to make rent, and I got to pay for gas for a car. I bought a, I say a 1969 Toyota Corona. Corona. Corona? Not a Corona. Oh, okay. Corona. It was built in September '69, same month and year that I was born. It was red with a white racing stripe. Man, five hundred bucks, boom, cash on the batter mm-hmm. on the uh, barrelhead. Right, you got to pay for gas because you got to go to work. You got to make rent, and sometimes you don't have money for food. And what's what's tragic, Jocko, is that people are getting there again in America. Yeah. They're they're having to make those decisions, and it's shocking. So yeah, not eating was you know. I mean, right now, clearly that may be a good thing, dude. Mm-hmm. I tell people like, we're, you know, we're nine you could meals. Use some
0: more of that, right? See, now. We're, we're
1: like, we're nine meals away from anarchy at any point, right? And I'm like, I'm like, fifteen to twenty meals <laughs> away from anarchy. Let's be honest. You know I mean? like, I could, I could be a castaway for a while, That may be a good thing. Yeah. So,
0: so sometimes you're not eating. You're 16. You're 17. You're right. still working at the gas station. Right. At what point do you go? Hey, this, so this went ain't out, this ain't working. Check.
1: I went out with a buddy of mine. His name is Kurt. And, um, you know, we're drinking beer and we're in Oregon and, and, uh, I'm like, let's join the Marine Corps. And he's like, yeah, let's join the Marine Corps. Oh yeah. So we go out and you know, we get all tuned up and we were like the best Marines for six hours and I wake up and I call him. And I'm like, I do not want to join the Marine Corps. And he's like, I do not want to join the Marine Corps. I go, let's join the Navy. He goes, okay. I picked him up. We went to the recruiting office. What? Uh, no, that was it. That was exactly what, as much thought that went into it. Now remember, now Gunny was, he was a Marine. My, you know, the mm-hmm. guy that I aspired to be.
0: What made you say like, you're fired up to go to the Marine Corps six hours later? I don't think so. What was, <laughs> what was? Sobriety. <laughs> 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 that's, that's what happened. Did you did you understand anything about the military? No. Were you just like, hey, Navy, no. you know, Marine Corps, that seems cool. They got cool uniforms. They carry machine guns. Yeah,
1: no, and you know what? It's interesting. If you want to, I mean, not to over-spiritualize things or get too philosophical about stuff. Sounds like we're about to. Sure. There's <laughs> There's been several inflection points in my life where it's just kind of like, you know, throw your chips to the wind and see what happens. Because at that point, I was going nowhere. And I realized that, you know, I guess uh, alcoholics call it an epiphany. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have this moment. And um, I kind of had that moment where I realized... This is just not, I don't want to live this way the rest of my life. Right. And so there had to be a change. And, it, you know, how do you change like that? I'm a high school dropout. I couldn't get accepted to college. You know, any of that stuff, right? Um, and it just really, it was an epiphany. So I joined the Navy. Did you have to get your GED? How'd that work? I got, they gave me six months to get a GED. I was offered three different programs. Seaman apprenticeship, fireman apprenticeship, and airman apprenticeship. Okay. That's it. Dude. There was no other options. And so just
0: so everyone knows what that means, that means menial labor, the, the, the lowest jobs, the most menial jobs that you can get in the Navy Correct. are those three jobs in the three different
1: broad departments Correct. in the Navy. Yeah. Straight up menial labor. And, um, so I just like, okay, you know, <laughs> I signed on, I got stationed at Naval weapons station, Concord. Hold on. Yeah. So sorry.
0: you said it took you six months to get, to get your me you six leave? months.
1: They're like, you, so I went into Dab the, Delayed entry program. Yep. They said once you're active duty, you have six months to get a okay. So I went to my first duty station, Naval Weapons Station. Wait, when was this? 1988. 1988. Man, they were hurting for some people then. (laughs) Listen, dude, Reagan wanted the 600 ship Navy. That's right. And you could, like, where's, here, give me this trench knife. (laughs) So you could, like, wipe the blood off a knife you just stabbed somebody with, and they're like, don't do that again. And they'll let (laughs) you in the Navy. they come on in. (laughs) Right. But, and now, you know, that's something I was alluding to earlier is that, you know, our standards now, People have not faced this adversity, and so we're taking we set all these prerequisites for guys to go to different programs, especially specialized programs, that you know they're kind of unrealistic. But yeah, so um I would drive up over the Benicia Bridge. I can't remember the name of that uh, Mare Island, and I would take classes. and I took my GED, and you know got that within the six months. So you're
0: 18 when you actually get in the Navy.
1: I was 18. I turned 19 in boot camp.
0: Okay, you're so you turned 19 in boot camp. How was boot yeah. camp?
1: Uh, you know, I mean. It was just boot camp. Was, I was it a shock to, to
0: your system? Were you like, no, I was not one of those you, guys. Were you totally happy to be there?
1: It's three hots and a cot, man. Yeah. You know,
0: you like food.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> apparently, uh, oh, everyone understands what you're saying. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just what you're doing, and um, that's kind of how I live my life. I approach it like this is what we're doing, mm-hmm. and so let's just do it. Let's crack on and let's do it the best that we can. And that really paid off in Bud's. And I'll tell you a story, though. So um, in order to get to Bud's, right, I joined the Navy. I'm working Wait, on it. Do a, you know about the SEALs at this no, point? No, I had no idea. They, like, yeah. they wasn't like, hey, Derek, check this yeah. out. By the way, you can never do this. You're going to work on it because you're a scrub. You know, that's essentially what he said. So I cleaned toilets and painted.
0: So you, so you get done with boot camp.
1: Get done boot, Where do you get stationed? On, Naval your... Weapons Station, Concord. Concord, California, it's closed now. Okay. There's a ammunition station. You
0: show up there. You're an E1. Yeah. Maybe an E2. No,
1: I made E2. Did I make E2? I can't remember. e okay. 2 doesn't matter. But you're a very low-ranking individual. right. But I still had this sort of, um, you know, I, mean, I, was, I was a smart aleck, you know, to put it mildly. You're yeah. a smart
0: aleck at 50. How old are you?
1: 53. You're
0: a smart aleck at 53. When we worked together, you were a smart aleck right. at 40-something. So but I can only imagine it was even worse when you were...
1: Here's the 8, difference, I Jocko. I, <laughs> I have now earned it. Jack. I've earned it. When I was a young man, I, I didn't. Uh. I was a brash young man, and I didn't have humility. And so I decided to go to core school because I had a friend who worked at the clinic, and um, I wanted to go do that. So I had to work for six months, eight months, or whatever. After hours, I struck for a rate. Um, for all your civilians that's um, applying for a job. Did
0: you apply for the job
1: as corpsman? I was a... Right, so I made BM-3. Bosons mate, third-class decorating. Um, and then I went and became a corpsman. But so here here was the turn. A, a quarter-inch shackle turned my life around. And that's a, a shackle. I don't know how to describe that. It's, it's a, a fastener. It's of, a fastener. It's like a nautical <clears throat> metal thing, right? And uh, so... <laughs> I was standing on the fantail of the Y-T-B, that's uh, Yard Tugboat 828 Casa. All Yard Tugboats in the Navy were named after American Indian Chiefs, in case you are wondering. So I'm on the fantail. That's the back of the boat. And uh, I get beamed in the back of the head with a quarter-inch shackle. And I turn around, and there's nobody there. And I'm like, if I don't change my ways, these people will kill me. And that really (laughs) opened... That was a reality check, and I, I don't encourage you know changing people's you know behavior modification through violence. But I'm just telling you my story, and um, I was like, "Wow, I need to, you know, change my ways now," and I did. And then I got to to core school. So you
0: apply? You have to apply to go to core school?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So I worked at the clinic on base after hours, and it was like six or eight months. Got it. And I had to take a series of tests. I did all these um, the general military trainings. I did a whole bunch of correspondence courses, like the NATO Jeez. handbook on surgery and all these things. I, I did, which is a, a course for physicians. I ordered it. Used to be able to order all these books for the navy. And I just have a knack for it. You know, I'm. I, I know I seem like a goofball. to them, but I, I'm actually
0: uh, a knack for nerding out and studying on something. Yeah. And passing tests because
1: I had been reading since a kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It it wasn't it wasn't strange to me. To garner knowledge from the written word. Mm-hmm. And so being able to read things, absorb information, and then take things from disparate sources, combine them together to understand the best way to do things is just something I'm I'm just good at it. You know, it's it's intuitive to me. I don't have to work at that.
0: So you apply to go to core school.
1: Right. And then I got accepted and I put everything I owned in the entire world on the back of my motorcycle and drove like everything drove from Cocker, California to San Diego and checked into core school here. How
0: long is core school?
1: 11 weeks, I think. <sighs> I mean, that was a while ago, dude. And, and, they don't even have core school here anymore. And you still
0: haven't heard about the SEAL teams yet? No. So, so that revelation there. must be coming.
1: Okay. So there was uh, three guys that joined the Navy to be SEALs. One's name is Rodney. Unfortunately, he was killed working for the CIA after he got on the teams. He graduated. Another one's name is Andy. He did, I don't know, ex years got out. And the other one's name is Jeff, and Jeff didn't make it to Bud's. In a way, they're like, hey, you know, I'm gonna be a this SEAL. This is at core school? This is at core school. Okay, And uh, they're all like, you know, and I'm me. And uh, I'm like, what's the SEAL stuff? They're like, well, you have guns and planes and boats and, you know, fast cars. I'm like, well, I'll go do that. And they're like, you can't just say, I'll go do that. And I go, well, why not? Why can't you just say? I'll go do that. So I was kind of mocked a bit, and then you had at that point three chances to take this screening test. Mm-hmm. Did you do the same thing? What class were you? One seventy-seven. Okay, so I was one eighty-four. Mm-hmm. And so remember, you had three chances. Oh no, you're yeah, you're I, an I E, just, weren't I you? Just,
0: yeah, yeah. But I just did it in boot camp. Oh, because they they let it, you do that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did it boot camp. Passed. Yeah. So I failed this twice. Mm-hmm. And back then, like you failed the street times, you're out. We don't want to see you again, you're dead to the world, right? Get out of here. This well, is while you were a corpsman? This is while I was in core school. I was to in get a corpsman. To get a billet to buds. To get a billet to buds. Got one. it. And you uh, fail once. What'd you fail? Swim. Okay. I didn't know how to do the side stroke. Yeah. I've been swimming since I was you know, a kid. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how to do a formal stroke. Right. So I failed this thing twice and they started renovating the barracks, which is the not the oldest, but the second oldest <laughs> building in San Diego at, at the Naval Hospital. Oh, that was our barracks. So they move us to 32nd Street, the Navy base down there. And by now, this is this is a personal thing at this point because of the push-ups, sit-ups, um, run. I don't know if you did dips. Anyway, crush Pull all ups. of them. Pull-ups. Yeah. Right, crush all of them. Can't do the swim. So I go to the pool. There's a nine-year-old kid in the pool, and he's doing the side stroke. And I'm like, hey, dude, can you show me how to do that? Because there was no <laughs> mentoring. Yet. Remember yeah. that? It was yeah, like, yeah. go do this. Yeah. No mentoring. I go, hey, man, can you show me how to do that? A nine-year-old kid. He's like, yeah. Just grab an apple, pull the apple down, get it with your hand, throw the apple away, grab another apple. Oh, just oh keep dang, doing it. Look that at that. This right? kid was good. <laughs> right. That's a side stroke. So, you know, I did it, past test. That quarter-inch shackle gave me the humility, which was the thing that I was missing as a young man, mm-hmm. to be able to ask a nine-year-old kid how to do the side stroke. And then so what, I, somebody
0: hucked that thing at you, this shackle. Yeah. And they just didn't give a shit.
1: No, <laughs> the, listen, man, <laughs> just I mean, beamed you in right head. in the back of the head. <laughs> and then, so, you know, the, the tub, which are actually beautiful boats, this big, wide fantail in the back. And then there's a, the old one level, which is where the, um, the coxswain's flat is, you know, the wheelhouse, um, you know, clearly they were up there mm-hmm. and, so I, I've had the ability, Jocko, and I think you have also. And Echo, unfortunately, I don't know you well enough. Hopefully I will in the future. I don't. I don't
0: whatever you're going to say, I doubt he has yeah. um, <laughs> there, so,
1: there there's, there's people in the world that have the ability to understand when they're taking part in history or where things are significant to the point where that you should modify your behavior.
0: Well, that's what I think. The, one of the key points about this is um, a lot of times when you get hit in the head with a shackle, you look at everyone else and say, I can't believe they're doing this to me. I can't believe that someone, you get mad, you get mad at the Navy, you get mad at the people on your tugboat, you get mad at everybody else. Right. When what you actually need to do is say, well, there's only one person I can control, and that's me. I'm the one that got myself on the back of this tugboat, I'm the one that got myself around these bunch of people, I need to do something to get out of here. I need to take ownership of my life and move forward. And that's a huge difference, and it's a huge difference in mentality that can be the difference between staying where you're at I mean, you obviously did the same thing at the gas station. At some point, you're like, you know, being hungry sucks. Right. And I could be mad at my paycheck at the gas station. I right. could be mad at my car for using gas. Or I could say, hey, I put myself in this situation. and I need to get myself out of it. Where's the recruiter? So that's, a, uh, th- that, that's the thing that you're talking about when you explain that to me. I think, yeah, well, that, yeah. that's going to have, that's the difference between moving forward, moving up, improving your, your station in life, right. or staying where you're at.
1: And if you have the 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 wherewithal to do things, um, you should do things. I mean, some things are just that simple. You can sit around and, and hang out, or you can, can you can continuously try to improve yourself. Yeah. And uh, so I've got friends like that. One of them I got to give a shout out to him is Mike Emmer. His dude up in our village in Butternut He's just always doing things. Mm-hmm. He just got into sailing with his family now, so he sails. And Th- this is a farmer mm-hmm. who now has this big boat sailboat that he he runs his kids around lake superior on Mm -hmm. because he is always him and liz she's just wonderful um have always kept their eyes open and when people have their head down we talked about that earlier with your posture you you just don't see the world around you and um I, i made a conscious decision to not do that i made a conscious decision to be part of the equation and i think more people they should understand that like i I mean, not to get overly political here, but I talk to people and I'm like, hey, um, you know, you can go outside and you can stare at a hill. It doesn't matter how long you look at that, the cavalry's not coming over the hill. They're not coming. You know, it's you. You are the cavalry. So when you care enough about something, you got to understand you are the person that can affect positive change, and so I empower people, and I go talk to them. I go, look, man, we always talk about the guys who jumped into Saint Mary Glees or went over the beaches in Normandy or the Marines in Quezon in Vietnam or in the Argonne Forest in, in uh, World War One. We think about them as these people that, at this singular point in time, when their when their country, our country, needed them, they stood up, and they they bodily entered into something, knowing that they may not come back alive. Um, in the same vein, that's who the people that care about the United States are now. Now, I hope to God they never have to get involved in physical combat. We've both been there, and it's it's a horrible thing. And, it, and war should be horrible, so people don't want to get engaged in it. But they're doing that now, and they have to show courage because courage is contagious. We've seen this. A lot of people out in the civilian world have not. And I'll give them an example that people can understand because it's kind of funny. During the lockdown. Um, there's, it's, uh, I think it's 323.10 is the statute in the Wisconsin state law that says that the governor has the ability to exercise emergency powers, and it's like a thirty day window. So I'm like, okay, check. I don't know what's going on. It's like if mm-hmm. your dudes in combat, you're like, yeah. go do this. It's like, well, sir, I think we should have a, you know, right. no emergency you, situation. Boom, got it, it, right? But then when that emergency um, ends or the legal authority ends, then it's time to challenge authority. The same person that is the law-abiding citizen, right? that's your duty to follow the law when you're in a crisis situation it's the same person that says no when that expires that is that is your duty as a citizen is to stand up for what's anyway so um, this lockdown's going on and I'm like I'm I'm no longer complying with this. (laughs) The the legal authority has expired. I will not do this. I'm not. So I go to Walmart because I'm a smelly, you know, dirty Walmart shopper. I am. And I don't have a mask on. And someone recognizes me. They have a face shield and a mask on. And dude looks at me and he's like, what are you doing? I go, I'm not complying. And he said, well, I'm not either. And he takes (laughs) his stuff on and throws it into his cart in Walmart. And, uh, Courage is contagious, Wait, he didn't die immediately? No, but listen, <laughs> and, uh, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I had COVID twice, and it was horrible. And a lot of people died from it. And if you want to wear a mask right now, wear it. I mean, 100%. If you want to wear a mask and a face shield, you want to wear gloves, you want to hand sanitize and all that stuff, that's your ability as an American citizen to choose the way you want to live your life. And now everybody's coming around. The CDC just said that people mm-hmm. should be able to choose. So they should have been able to choose back then. I wrote an op-ed in like April of 2020 called freedom over fear. And it laid it out like you got to pick because you can't have both. I, what's your book? Um, extreme ownership. Well, there's a bunch of them, Dichotomy but, of leadership, but you talk about fear and stuff, right? Oh, I mean, that's Mikey, a, the dragons, the kids you. book. Okay. Mind killer, right? You can't function if you're terrified. So it, I think it's just a different way of, of thinking about how we should interact as citizens. And so you, you wanna do that stuff, go ahead. I'm just not going to, mm-hmm. I will not join you, but I won't mock you either, because mm-hmm. it's your choice.
0: All right, speaking of cho- choices, mm-hmm. you choose to figure out how to swim from this nine-year-old mm-hmm. kid, mm-hmm. now you pass your test. And I passed my test. And you're going to Bud's. I go
1: to Bud's, I... Did you did you have any clue about Bud's at this Zero. point? Zero, absolutely nothing. And, and again, that's why I succeeded, so I do it. <laughs> 184 and graduated with 184. You know, Neil Roberts? Yeah. First guy killed in Afghanistan. We have got our- I was a team two with him. yeah. Okay, so we had our arms over each other's shoulders graduating from Bud's. I mean, he's a great man. They call him Fifi, man. Yeah, Yeah, super guy. But so I got there and I'm like, hmm, I don't know what to do here. And I show up at like, you go to A.B. Bright's, is that still there? That yep. dirty cleaner? Okay. Still there. So you got your pants, you know, that you can stand mm-hmm. up by themselves. Cause they're, they're so starched. starched. Like <laughs> seriously, that's not a joke. You can stand them up. And, um, so it's like, I pay all this money to have these things done and I go down. I'm not going to, I don't know what his first name is. I'll just call him C. That's the first letter of his last name. I don't uh-huh. want to embarrass a guy, you know? And, um, it's like four in the morning. I'm wearing this uniform and I'm, I'm walking like, uh, Is that? Pillsbury Dough Barter? Mm. Anyway. Or Gingerbread Man or whatever. And um, this guy comes up to me he looks me up and down. This is an instructor? No. This is a fellow student. Okay. He looks me up and down he goes, you're not going to make it. (laughs) Like whispers to me. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? I just paid all this money for these uniforms. Like, do I get a refund or, you know, do I leave? And so I'm like, all right, well... I guess I'm not going to make it. And so I go to class and, you know, one thing leads to another and, uh, it's very difficult seal training in case you haven't read a book or anything, but, um, and then it occurred to me, I, I mean, I, I actually have a mo again, an- another one of these ep- epiphanies when I understand exactly what the deal is. Um, we're sitting on the beach. We're PT and we're looking in towards the compound. So the oceans at our back mm-hmm. and the instructor, um, He's looking out to sea, and we're exercising, and it starts to rain, which is bad, you know. But you'll get through it, and then it starts to lightning and hail. It's like storm. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a rare, rare occurrence for San Diego. Exactly. So, working on that tugboat moving ammunition when it's their hero. I can't remember. It's oh yeah, hero condition. Hero or condition. Right, right. That's when there's electric <laughs> to stop stuff in the air. You got to stop. Things will blow up, and so. um, uh, I'm thinking, wow, this is bad. We're standing on the beach. You know, the only thing we don't have is a golf club <laughs> holding up there. And the instructor, he goes, and halt, you know, in buds, that's not like smoking If you got him, you're standing at rigid attention. He runs into the compound. I'm like, well, good. we are going to get us off this beach. We've got to get out of here. It's a lightning storm. And, uh, he comes running back out and he has a dive mask on. And I'm like, Oh, I get it. Th- this is the contract. So, My part of the contract was, I'm going to show up here every single day and do everything I possibly can to meet your standard, my instructors. Not my standard, your standard. And his part of the contract was, he's going to show up every single day and make sure that I adhere to his standard. And it was like a light bulb appeared above my head.
0: So it's just raining so hard that he needed a dive mask. Because he couldn't
1: see if we were performing the functions to his standard. Check. So that was, that was it. I'm like, I get buds at this point. Well, how deep
0: were you in the buds? A couple of weeks?
1: <sighs> that was PTRR.
0: Oh, so it was you fourth, even, fourth phase. It, Didn't even class up, up
1: yet. yet. So when I started, there was guys who would like sandbag. So they're like, you have to do the O course. And I'm just making up these numbers now in 10 minutes. And then it had to be nine 30 and you know, you had, right. had this progression. Right. So they would do it just passing on purpose because I knew there were better athletes than me. Mm-hmm. And I took the opposite approach. I was like, I'm going to get up every single day and try as hard as I can for everything I do. Like every single thing I do, and then I'm going to get better. I'm not going to stay the same, you know, or decrease. I will get better. And I know I can do this because there's somebody wearing a, a trident making me do it. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. That's how I got through Buds. And I swear, man, third phase out of the Island, we're flying back. And I was certain that plane was gonna crash because there was no way I could be graduating from that. you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> what was uh, the, what, what do you remember about like Hell Week? Was Hell Week a challenge for you?
1: Um, It was, but I was a boat crew leader, because oh. I was an E-4. Oh, you are an E-4. I was an E-4, Wheeling some heat, dude. Yeah. And um, I've found, <laughs> yeah, I have found personally that when you are in a leadership position and you have people that you need to be concerned about, then you're putting their care above your own which I've done my whole life so that was just you know something that you do that it actually makes the time go by Mm -hmm. better because you're not worried about yourself you're not you're not focusing internally you know this is hard I'm freezing and you know I'm chafed and whatever you're looking out for your men Mm -hmm. and you're like oh, you get this but you're like this person is having a bad time and what can I do from my position to make this better for them so that we can accomplish the mission and you know if someone couldn't make it in BUDS people are like oh you should help them and carry them along I'm like, I took again the opposite approach if this person can't get through BUDS and we're going to carry them through BUDS what are they going to be like when they get to the steel teams so there's you can take that to an extreme if somebody yeah. <clears> was having a bad day you help them out but if someone was consistently performing right. below um, par I don't want them around no so for me, Hell Week was—I uh, mean—very challenging, but at the same time, I think it was easier for me than any of the guys in my boat crew because they—they they were more focused. They were more focused on them mm. getting through this, and I was more focused on getting us through it. Mm.
0: I liked Hell Week because there's nothing I could fail like everything else because <laughs> i wasn't good at anything i yeah. wasn't i wasn't good at running i wasn't good at swimming i wasn't was, good at go o course and, i was going to tell everybody that but. you you're always i was always <laughs> like if you know this could i could fail this swim i could fail this right. run i had to just put out so hard but Hell Week was like, oh, we just gotta finish? Bro, I could do that. You, just right. not quit, I, just that's, not. that's my game. You wanna I, play that game, that's my game. No sleep and no right. quitting, I'll, that's my right. game. All if there was a pro sport, I'd be doing good at that sport. Yeah. <laughs> so Hell Week for me was fun. What, what about the water, was the water all good for you? Pool comp and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, I, so I failed pool comp the first time. Me too. What, do you know why I failed pool comp the first time? Because mm. I forgot the end of the brief.
0: What was the end of the brief?
1: Kiss the regulator and oh, ascend. Yeah. What would you do? Just ascend? I just sat there. <laughs> <laughs> so I did the whole everything. Yeah. And I just forgot the end of the brief. Yeah. Kiss the regulator and ascend. And uh, it, McCarthy was my instructor. <laughs> oh, oh right? yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, and he pulls me out of the pool, you know. And he's like, what is wrong with you? And I go, well, what do you mean, Senator Jeff McCarthy? He goes, dude, if you had just kissed the regulator and ascended, you'd be fine. Hmm. And I was like, oh, check, Raj. That's the end of the brief. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, the water work was fine. I, mean, I did struggle s- swims, mm-hmm. but um,
0: like passing swims. You were a yeah, slow swimmer,
1: I, dude. A nine year old taught me how to do the side True. stroke like two weeks before I went to butts. So in fact, yes, I was a slow swimmer. <laughs> 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 it was actually about three months before I went to buds because I the in that interim period from core school to going to buds, I worked at the naval hospital mm-hmm. and I collected dirty linen. It was awesome, but I also so the the linen collection shop at balboa naval hospital i don't know if it's still there was down in the basement right next to the morgue and i was like i'm gonna go to bud's training and i should understand more about human physiology because i'm going there and so i would go do it was like wednesday morning's guy named braswell he was the autopsy instructor so i'd go do these autopsies you know i would stand there i finally worked my way up to weighing organs Mm-hmm. but just to really truly understand physiology. Because you read that in a book, and you can do a cadaver lab and that sort of stuff. But when you have um, you have someone that is newly deceased, you have a much better understanding of how things truly work in your body. It was a fascinating experience, actually.
0: So that was an interesting little uh, off-ramp we just took into the morgue. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> I mean, it, so I was a corpsman, sexist. right, and then uh, yeah. I went to uh, the 300F1 program down in San Antonio, Texas, after I graduated from BUDS. Uh, and then I went, finally, after uh, two platoons at Team 4 in South and Central America and then Bosnia-Herzegovina, mm-hmm. um, I finished the 18 Delta course, of which I was the distinguished honor graduate of my class. In there you you go. Boom. <laughs> you know why? Because I didn't want to go. Because I was frogman. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take six months off to mm-hmm. go work with the Army, go to school anymore. I want to stay in a platoon, right? That was my thing. If you're a SEAL, you should be in a platoon. Yes. And if you're in a platoon, you should be at war. That's it. You know, the, and God bless them, the guys that do 27 years at Trade at Mar Ops instructors, you know, thanks. That's so no one else has to do that, but you get the deal. The, yeah. the SEALs natural environment is combat, cut, try period, over. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I didn't want to go. And I'm like, mm, Army, Special Forces guys. I have so many SF friends, you know. They're, they're good dudes. I'm like, mm, how do I beat them? Aha, academically, <laughs> right? So... That's they're very serious about academics. That course was really yeah, hard. That was a hard course. I didn't go through
0: it, but I remember it would kick guys' asses.
1: Right. So Mm-mm. when I graduated, the commander had to give me their commander's excellence going – You love that. It was just like their hand is shaking, like, you know. So and it was just very very interesting. And if you're going to do your job, do it the best you can. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, That's just. I mean, everyone should take that approach to life. If you're gonna, yeah. have you ever seen this? Um, it's a documentary called uh, Hero Loves Sushi.
0: I have not seen it, but I I know about it. I just fascinating. I started watching it, bro, and honestly, it didn't it didn't really grab me. And I don't I, I don't have a bunch of time to be watching movies that are not getting me out of the gate. And it just didn't do it. I'll I'll get to it at some point. I think when I'm older, like maybe 65, 70, <laughs> okay. five, seventy, I'm gonna roll into that because I've heard it's great. And so I heard he the guy's totally focused, and he has the most popular sushi place in the right, world. Right. And there's a the hard to get to, and it's a little shack on the side of the road or whatever a really small thing and he's the best in the world
1: what I got out of all of that is that you have the attention span of a gnat I I may (laughs) I may (laughs) no so this guy is talking about um, you don't you don't have to be proud of your job but you have to be proud of your work interesting that's the whole crux of that movie that's why it's so fascinating and you gotta get to that you know what I mean so you can be doing anything just do it the best you can all the time that's
0: 100% and by the way that's the way if you don't like your job the way out of your job is to do the job to the absolute best of your ability. That's how the, the way to stay in your shitty job that you don't like is to not perform well at it. And it's not gonna work out well for you. are gonna stay in that job or you're gonna get an even worse job. Right. Uh so you're flying back from San Clemente Island, mm-hmm. which means you're graduating from BUDS yep. and you get stationed. Where do you what do you get? SEAL team four. Did you pick East Coast?
1: I picked SEAL team four. And this is why. Because Seal Team Four was the only SEAL team I was aware of that had been in combat since the Vietnam War, and just like we just talked mm-hmm. about, man, a SEAL's natural environment is combat. So I I put that as my first choice because I thought that was the team that has the highest probability of entering into combat.
0: Yep, and so that I was there. in in Panama. This is that was That's Panama correct. was 1989, correct. and so now it's
1: 1990 one october 23rd 1992 i graduated from bud so okay it 93-ish or whatever
0: so the uh at the time that was it man and i was guys the show. yeah and and the, and, and, and car- at the time operations and all that stuff yeah at the good. time the t- seal teams were geographically oriented correct and so mm-hmm. that meant that different teams had different geography that they covered and seal team four at the time covered central and south america that's which means every sp- spanish speaking person in the seal teams went there immediately correct and there was there was things going on down there there was the counter drug stuff there was revolutions going on so there was
1: right.
0: uh, that sounded like a good place for you the way you looked at it that's where you wanted to go
1: yeah and i tell you what
0: you uh, were smarter than me you know i wanted to go to seal team 1 cuz i thought we were going
1: to Nam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i was like bro team 1 vietnam
1: there's got to be stuff going on <laughs> You know, I went to Vietnam in 1998. Well, that's awesome. In, On uh, the recovery uh, missions? Join Task Force oh, yeah, Full for nice. County. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, man, so I went to Team 4. I did uh, two platoons there. How was it when you showed up at Team 4? Because uh, that's the other thing, at Team
0: 4, and that was a guy had a bunch of friends that went to Team 4, and Team 4 was like an awesome team at that
1: time. Yeah, yeah. Team 4 was is the East Coast, or was the East Coast equivalent of Team 5. Mm. Much more relaxed, and, but super, super professional. Like, so we would you would do, I think six weeks of land warfare at Pickett, Mm -hmm. And then you'd go down to Panama and you spent your first month and a half living in the jungle doing, I
0: actually did that trip from team one. Did you really? Yep. We went down there and did 34 days or something
1: out in the J. Right. So you seriously knew what you're doing. Um, and I really, I really appreciated that a lot. And that's why I, I volunteered to go to trade Ed. Um, because I was not satisfied with our land warfare training. Mm -hmm. I thought it was completely inadequate. Um, Coming from that background at mm-hmm. Team Four. So I did those two platoons. And then here's what was your the, job? Corpsman and intelligence. Oh, that's right. You were a medic. That's medic right. Medic and intel. So I did eight platoons as a corpsman and a medic. And you, I mean, you don't really do that anymore once you become a chief, but it mm. was still my specialty. Yeah. my forte, as it were. And how were those deployments? They were very interesting. I mean, um, I got my first. Oh, so this is like 94 you're going on your first deployment? Or 94. 94, 95, so. 94, like 95, yeah. first I got um I got my first Navy Achievement Medal when I was in STT at the time, which was interesting, I, was, I told you because I got my second one down on my, my first deployment. The, the first one was because some guy got shot at a basketball court outside of a grocery store in Virginia and I went and saved his life, which, you know, as you do. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was another horrific accident. So I was a new guy, but I'm, like, I stick to my guns, right, and I paid the man for it several times, <laughs> but I would insist on bringing my medical gear back to, we were staying in like four different condos in Salinas, Ecuador. And I would insist of packing up all of my medical gear and taking them back to my room every night after training. And like, new guy, we wanna, and I'm like, I don't care. You know, tune me up if you want, but I'm gonna have my stuff. Like two o'clock in the morning, like, oh God, big thing. This, this car was driving and uh, they lost control and hit a cement telephone pole. It split the car in half and shot bodies all over the street. So I was like, "Holy beanbags!" And um, I had all my stuff and made the naval base. This is written in this little Navy chain medal and um, made the Navy base reopen their clinic. And had all my stuff and all the guys. My God, but I just I miss sometimes being around SEALs because they just perform you're like bam they can be sitting around doing something and they're on it so everybody has that you know nascent medical training and they all just performed and i'm like this 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 got it checked we saved everybody's lives um so that was part of the reason mm-hmm. that this um you know deployment was so terribly interesting uh and then 96 rolls around 95 96 rolls around and um they the the war was going on in Bosnia Herzegovina. So, is this now your second platoon? This would be my. Th- this wasn't even a platoon. I had done two platoons, and this was like kind of an augment thing. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. So, they're 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 trying to figure out a way to implement the Dayton Accords that were signed in 1995 after Storm 95, which is a Croatian offensive that kicked the Serbs back. So, they signed this Dayton Accords. And they're trying to figure out how to implement them. Prior to that, there was a program called the Joint Commission Observers, and those were Tier 1 guys that were going in and you know doing uh, JTAC stuff and whatever. And uh, so this transitions to how are we going to maintain this presence on the ground. So they transitioned from the Tier 1 guys to the theater soft, and SF had this mission. And they wouldn't let us do it. Were you around for – what were you doing there?
0: So 19, what year is this? 96. 96. I was in training cell at SEAL Team 1. Okay.
1: So you remember the JCO stuff where guys got yep. to go to Bosnia? All right. Yep. So they come back on the grinder at Team 4, and which is it, it just part of a compound, you know. I'm on the East Coast. And uh, they're like, okay, SF can't man this mission. We're going to let SEALs do it. So everyone was like, you know, yeah, we're going to war. <laughs> I'm excited, right? And they go, we're taking E7 and above. No. Ha! And I'm like, I'm an E5. Yeah so i'm like come on man so everybody goes to the language lab signs up this uh, this is something that i learned and i think i'm i'm not sure i I hope that i'm wrong but i see the military going back to the way it was in the 90s politically and all this stuff right i mean i i do believe we are auguring in the department Mm -hmm. of defense is broken right now so everybody goes and signs up on you know like this legal pad and then they call them in rank You know, one, the next, 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 next. And everyone's like, well, actually, I gotta mow my lawn. Well, my daughter's in soccer. Well, you know, and they work their way down. Uh, They get down to E5 Derrick.
0: So some of the guys that signed up weren't really wanting to go. You
1: (laughs) understand this concept when you're standing in a group (laughs) and you need to be like, oh, going to work? Yeah, I'm a SEAL, that's great. And they get really excited about it. But then when you get them on -on one-on-one, they don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They join the canoe club. They want to work out and all that stuff. That, that that transcends all spectrum. You know, that's, that's not unique to SEALs. So they get down to me. And, that's freaking crazy, uh, dude. Right. And so I go in to see my CMC. Um, his name's Perry. He's total redneck, awesome guy. And he goes, Well, oh, Van Orden, what you doing? I go, Mass Chief. General Patton had to petition General Pershing as a second lieutenant to be included on his expedition during the Mexican-American War. And he goes, you trying to tell me you're some kind of G.D. General Papa? <laughs> <laughs> he did not abbreviate that. And I said, no, Master Chief, but I'm telling you my bags are packed right now and I can leave in 10 minutes. And he's like, beat it.
0: Now, at this point, are you married? Yeah. You're married. At the, when did you meet your wife?
1: In San Diego. Right before, uh, right after I, no, right before I went to Bud's. We got married right after Bud's. Got it. So I spent, I was a SEAL for just under 22 years, and I spent 16 years away from home. So I took every single training trip. I went to every single school I could. Because, again, you have to find, if you're doing something, do it. Don't, and that's a biblical principle. You know, be either hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I will spit you out. That's in the Bible, man. So if you're doing something, do it. And so I got every single qualification I possibly could. So in case something came up, I would be the one selected to do it, to go defend my country. I mean, I'd live my life that way, right? How
0: fast did you have kids? Do you have ki- did you have kids we when had, you got to team four?
1: By the time we got to team four, we had two kids. Damn. Yeah. And we okay. have four now. I have eight grandchildren. Impressive. Gosh, they're so awesome. <laughs> All the, everything you hear about being a granddad. Not even close to how cool it is. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> they're just wonderful. But yeah, so um, I went on that deployment. It was very interesting. Um, I remember, w- so we had these different houses. I didn't live in a base. In my house was Whiskey 40. So I, it was multinational division Southwest. I worked for a guy named John Cass, was a British colonel. Mm-hmm. Reported to the Special Operations Command and Control Element, SOHC, and That was in Banyaluka. The guy named uh, Repass, Mike Repass, was a major at the time. I wound up working for him again when he's a two-star in Germany. It's mm-hmm. really cool. But uh, we went into Sarajevo. We fly in. We went to another Joint Commission Observer house, and the SF guys, and kind of like slowly get you in. There's two SEALs there in my house when we moved out to uh, Bugono, it's the name of the town we lived in, um, and then like seven to nine SF guys. I get up every morning. I drive out and I talk to all the military and uh, local political figures and police figures and... It was The mission was to provide a ground truth about what's going on. And um, I had so much responsibility as an E-5, like to plan these missions and go out. And I had like a pistol and a butt pack with one other SEAL with a pistol and a butt pack. And you're going out and, you know, talking to these people who just want to kill you. And the level of, um, I guess the Yiddish term would be chutzpah. You know, you got to get out there. And I'll give you this example, man. So we go up to um, Banja Luka to the 117th VRS. That is a Serb- uh, Serbian military unit. I wanted to go check in with these cats. And it's kind of on, sort of on a little hill. But back then, you for SATCOM, sat- you had to have the right look mm-hmm. angle and azimuth. Remember? Like you had to point oh, yeah. at a SATCOM. guy, so Okay, yeah. yeah, right. You know, you get it. Mm-hmm. These Other people, don't, you know, where's my phone? You know, I can talk to... Anyone, anywhere. Right. So back then you had to like, boom, I had to get the satellite. So I had, I do the, the math problem. I look at where I'm going. I realize that I'll have to point this, this antenna into a mountain and I'm not getting comps mm-hmm. and there were no cell phones. Right. So I, I understand that, you know, it's just me and my buddy Mick. So we go up there and, um, I'm late or excuse me, we're on time. This guy's not there. His name was, uh, Chulich, Colonel Chulich. We walk in, and there's this dude standing right there who has got rosy cheeks like mine, huge white beard, fatter belly than me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy looks like Santa Claus. (laughs) And I start chuckling. So this is a Serbian base. Remember, NATO had been bombing the Serbs, Mm -hmm. and they are—
0: Yeah, what was it, 64 days or something? Right.
1: They want no part of us, and so they are not happy. And— they're like, what are you talking about? And my Terp, named, his name is Zoran Azuminidic. We called him Zorka because he was fat. And so like Zorka, like orca. Okay, got right, it. Right, so Zorin. they're like, um, he's starting to worry. And and uh, they're like, what are you laughing at? I go, all right, well, it looks like this is going down right now, you know? And there's like 400 Serbs there. And two of us, we have... 31 rounds of mm-hmm. nine millimeter with us. Like that's the, it. So I go, okay, hey, in the United States, we have a guy, his name is Santa Claus. And you look just like him. That's what we're laughing at. And they start laughing. They go, oh, they're Serbian Orthodox. They have St. Nicholas. <laughs> they're like, that's what we call him too. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know. And then, so we sit down at this table. Chulets, <laughs> yeah, that really happened. You almost, almost
0: had an international incident because you were laughing at St. At help there, it. <laughs> Right,
1: it gets more bananas. So we're sitting at this huge table and uh, Chulich is supposed to show up at the head of the table and whenever you use an interpreter, you put him in between you and whoever you're talking to, right? So they should just be a uh, conduit for language. So he's sitting there. This guy's just late. Late, late, late. And we're sitting there drinking Schlievowitze which is a uh, plum brandy. It's excellent actually. In France they call it vie Water of Life. Maybe with a Mirabelle plum, in case you're wondering. But um, So this guy finally shows up and my my radio is in this rucksack, and this dude, he's dressed like a Russian mafia guy.
0: This is the dude that just showed up?
1: The colonel who should have been there like three hours before. He was in Bondi Luka, goofing off. Anyway, black leather jacket, hair slick back. And he's like, well, you know, uh, Serbians are great warriors. I'm like, yeah, they are. He goes, uh, Serbians kept um, Europe safe from the Ottomans for 300 years. I'm like, yeah. Serbians could kick NATO out of here anytime we want. I look at him, I go, you see that radio right there? You keep that up. I'm going to rain fire from the sky on you in 10 minutes. Is that clear? And Zorin, remember, I'm going to eat five, dude, talking to this yeah. Serbian colonel. So Zorn's there. He's just like like instant sweat, like he just ate uh, a ghost pepper. And he's like, uh. I go, Zorn, you tell him exactly what I said right now or you're out of here. And he's like, okay, (laughs) you keep that up. He's going to rain fire from the sky on you in 10 minutes. And Chulic was like, what I meant to say was the Serbians and NATO can have an effective working relationship to make sure that we secure peace in Bosnia. I'm like, check. So we get down with the meeting. It went really well after that. We get back in the car and Zarn's like, Derek, do you know where you're at? And I go, yeah, I'm in Kula Camp. And he goes, do you know what happened to Kula Camp? I'm like, no. So what I failed to notice is that like all these buildings were freshly painted and everything was nice. <laughs> They'd been destroyed Destroyed by NATO. So when I told that guy, I'll be raining fire from the sky on you in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. He understood what that meant Isn't that terribly interesting.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: That That's when I was an E five dude.
0: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. The uh, amount of responsibility you can get. Yeah,
1: we had so in the military. Um, I was one of the guys that ran the six platoons. It's, the mission was declassified in like 2009. So we, we protected the top six Iraqi officials. Mm-hmm. And during the election cycle, I had this guy named Ibrahim Al jafari So I was a platoon chief at this time.
0: So this is team one.
1: No, this would be team five. So I was at team okay. four. And then I went to 18 Delta. I went to team one. Okay, so one pay platoon there. All right. So hold
0: on, slow down a little bit. Oh, so sorry. you're... <laughs> you're at team four, you get done at team four. Correct. And you get done with this Bosnia deployment, which is an awesome deployment for back then. It's like you were. It was the only war yeah, we had. The, the the most stoked you could possibly be at that time. Right. And then you get forced to go to 18 Delta right. against your will. Right. But you go down there and kick ass. Correct. Graduate number one guy in the class. That is correct. Now you, now what happens?
1: Okay. So I was supposed to go to Damnic. You know you have sea daddies and they lay mm-hmm. out your whole plan for you. Yep. And the Corman detailer is the same as Tom. He's a very good guy. I don't know where he's at now. So the plan was for me to finish 18 Delta. And at that point, they were only taking 8491s. So that's the senior level, It's for your audience. So there's 8492s. So that's the basic, you know, Special Forces Medic. And then the, the full graduate of the Army Special Forces Medical Sergeant's course. At that mm-hmm. time, the Damn Neck was only taking these guys. Mm-hmm. So that's why I had to go to 18 Delta. Tom sets all this up. But then I'm sitting there, This remember this is 98, Mm -hmm. 99-ish. And I had been gone for the five and plus years I was at Team 4. And Sarah and I had three kids at the time. Mm -hmm. She's a San Diego native. And I really felt horrible. You know what I mean? Because I'm a husband and a dad and all this stuff. And her family's still here. They're wonderful. Um, So I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask to get assigned to the West Coast Hmm. so that I can continue to work as a frogman as I should, but she'll have more support network around me or around her. Sorry. So, um, we're sitting in this meeting, you know, Tom pulls all the cormen. where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And he's asking him, you know, East coast, West coast, whatever. And he looks at me and he's like, you know, just skipping over me. Mm -hmm. And I said, West coast. And he was like, what? (laughs) I go, yeah, West coast, man. He's like, check goes around everybody i put in five because that was the seal team four Mm -hmm. then i put in three then i put in one now this is the person that decides where you are going Mm -hmm. like it's up to him where did i go team one he was so mad and at me personally and i mean it it was a great experience there but it was just so different like i got yelled at I would say forty times in the first two months I was there because I had like at, the wrong pair at team at one. Stalag team one. When did you get there? Gosh, it was it was ninety eight, late ninety eight. So FAC was there, and yeah. you know the whole the so regime. You, uh, so
0: I left in ninety eight. Okay, so that's. so you had just, just we passed. just missed. I left. I left in the spring of ninety eight. So if you didn't get there until,
1: I can't remember. Maybe. Yeah, it was. It, it was not, I deployed in um, two thousand. So whatever that cycle would be.
0: Yep. So yeah, I left in the spring of ninety eight. But yeah, at that time, just uh, we called Team One, Stalag Team One, because it was right. like strict and it was traditional and it was uniform inspections and haircut inspections
1: and right. all
0: these kind of things were going on. And I loved
1: it. Yeah. And well, that's why you wrote a book called like Discipline Equals Freedom, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't. Let's just be really clear about that. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's one of those things where you know that's where I was kind of raised. You know, from sure. a young kid to. You know that's where i've got all my first experience and you know like you talk about faculty faculty was like my it's a legend and a f- like a legit friend who looked out for me and my group of friends we were all kind of his boys and sure you know we worked we freaking busted our ass and that's what yeah you know what, that's I what, re- what happened
1: i remember you checking out because you were there with chris
0: yep 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 yeah.
1: that's when I was, and I,
0: I, I was, I was sailor of the year at seal team one. Well, the, yeah, that was, but the, I was the, the God. only E five in history. You made E five
1: or uh, I was sailor, yeah, the sailor of the E5? year at seal
0: team one as an E five, which was crazy. But well. part of that was cause FAC, sure. like FAC, like, you know, I was worked hard for FAC. I worked right for him um, yeah. in training cell and stuff. But yeah, it was this very strict environment of much more militaristic than the other teams, and I, I, went from there to Team Two, and Team Two was similar. Right.
1: That was sti- cl- it was sti- no, we called it style yeah. two. Yeah, it well, was, was, it was
0: pretty stylish as right. well. The same. Uh, they were they were the same. SEAL Team One and SEAL Team Two were definitely on the spectrum of way more militaristic. Way. So that's and you know what happened at Team One? A lot of guys from Team One would hated it and would go to Team Five. They would go down the street to Team Five and right. just be like, "Oh, now we can like act like humans." Right and be chill and so and that would be cool that's a that's a nice transition your
1: transition in the opposite direction is not a nice transition it was (laughs) like i'd had the wrong paris there's like a matrix so uh, dean cummings who was he's a great dude i mean he was the cmc there and uh it was always like van arden you know this hat and the socks and this shoes and whatever i'm like so finally i go hey master now remember i've done two platoons one combat deployment to bosnia i was the I, I got the Defense Meritorious Service Medal as nice, E-5. Yeah. I was the most highly decorated guy for my rotation because of some other stuff that I did there, right? Honor graduate of my Army Special Forces Medical Sergeant's course. I'm not some new guy that mm-hmm. just fell off, you know, the BUDS train, right? I am experienced. <laughs> I, at that point, I was a journeyman SEAL. Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Not a master. Yeah. I was a journeyman. And finally, I'm like, hey, Master Chief, can I get like a Matrix of what I can wear with what, because I'm not doing this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know what you expect me to yeah. wear every day. So PT is this, and then you change it. And he, he was like, and I go, I'm, I'm not joking. Yeah. And then he realized I was sincere, yeah.
0: you because- know? Dude, I, the guy you're talking about, Chris, who's like one of the biggest studs in human history, but we, we were in buds together, yeah. and then we get to team one, and we're going on a run, like we're new guys. Yeah. And he walks out for the run, he's wearing a visor. Like a, like a visor, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, I don't know, he, he still wears a visor these his well, day. He, he used to cut
1: those, the, yeah, the yeah. hat off. Yeah. yeah,
0: so he walks out with a visor on, and Fackety, who didn't know us at the time, we are just new guys, looks at him and he goes, if I see you wearing that again, I'm sending you to the fleet. <laughs> like, like, we just got that with buds, and he's telling him he's yeah. gonna send him to the fleet. Yeah. And by the way, this guy, Chris, is like just a total stud. In, in every way. He's,
1: he's one of those mutant humans.
0: Yeah, he's a mutant human. Yeah, he's incredibly and, bright. And, and, he relieved
1: yeah. me in Iraq. Okay. I got a cool story about that. Remind me of that.
0: Nice. Yeah. Uh, so you eventually figure out what you got to do to keep your keep from getting your ass chewed at SEAL Team 1. Correct.
1: Uh, do a PACOM deployment, and then Force 21 came about. Right. Remember that? Thankfully. Thankfully. It, well, thankfully and no. There's some very distinct, I mean, like, hardcore negative sequelae because of Force 21. The first and foremost one is that SEALs don't know how to do stuff anymore.
0: Yeah. I guess the the thing is, at that time. It was needed. It was needed and it was lucky because if we would have gone from the old system into what we ended up deploying as once right. 9-11, it would have been really, it would have, been it would have been much harder transition. Right. We would have pulled it off.
1: But. And when I say SEALs don't want to do stuff anymore, I mean, we're stone-cold killers, right? That's not changed. I just mean like the day-to-day sort of things. We, mm-hmm. We've lost that, um, we've lost the ability to like learn how to sew your own gear mm-hmm. because people, I'm like, I know how to use an industrial sewing machine as did everybody in the yep. SEAL teams because yep. you'd make your own stuff in the parallel, yep. right? Things like that. How do you build a duck and whatnot? But um, so...
0: What was your job in your platoon at Team One?
1: I was a corpsman. So, oh, so yeah, that's right. And Keep I was an Intel you. guy. That's what I did. That's your thing. That's was your my jail. thing. I got it. But so, um, Force 21 comes around. <clears throat> and um, I, again, I was, I was distinctly dissatisfied with the land of warfare training that I got at Team One. I, I, it, was, it was not adequate because remember, I came from Team Four, where you spent, that was what you did. I mean, you lived in the J. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm like, there's no war going on. There's nothing. I go, I'm going to. And remember, it was over at Brown F- or Turner Field. What's it, the, uh, you know, next to the EOD buildings mm-hmm. over in Coronado? What, what are we, what are we talking that, about? That field, Turner Field, or yeah, Turner, Turner. Field. Yep. Okay, so this is this is how discombobulated this was, and it's fascinating. They just put the road cones, like they put a road cone with like Team One, Team Five, Team Three trade it, and you would go stand behind the road cone. That's how I got to trade it. Huh. I lit. I stood behind a road count. Because That's I That's how
0: they figured out how to detail people? Yeah.
1: It was- It's kind of cool actually. Eh, it's sort of cool, but it was a mess. <laughs> and um, so I walk over to the building, the starship, You know, I don't know if they're even there anymore. But the one that was shared by one and three. And we started uh-huh. um, trade out. We had like the second floor or whatever yeah. it was. I walk in an empty room. It's me and uh, Jeff Green. Uh-huh. Then we're like, we're it we so the, the land, land, beginning of land warfare. And so I went through everybody's safes in all of the teams. And I took all of their documentation going back to the Vietnam War, you know, the, yep. the type stuff, yep. after action reports. And I consolidated all those things. And we wrote all of the curriculum for land warfare and then special reconnaissance, taking the lessons learned, going back from our forefathers that gave us our you know, fierce reputation. And then worked those over and over again. But I get there, we start doing that, and then um, September 11th happens. And I was down, and we lived in Navy housing, and I, I'm like, what the heck? We got a phone call from uh, a guy named Andy Dalton, retired SEAL senior chief, his wife's Cheryl. Just beautiful people, it's wonderful. Oops, sorry. And uh, they're, he's at team Two at the time. And they're like, turn on your television. So we turn it on and we're like, what the heck is going on? And um, so I go, hey, honey, keep the kids home from school. I do not know what's happening. I drive to the team area. We get snipers up in the building. We don't, we don't know what's happening. And I remember I went with this big vat board, this big white board, and I took a, a red marker and I wrote WAR. And these big letters right there. And at that point we had desks and everything. Mm-hmm. Like WAR, like it's on. And so from that point on, I tried to get out of there because we're at war, right? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Lumpy was the skipper there. And every morning I go in his office, just like I do Perry Bruce. I'm like, um, okay, I'm ready to go, bags are packed. He's like, you're going to Afghanistan when I go to Afghanistan, Vano. And I'm like, ready to <laughs> go, every morning, every morning, ready to go, ready to go. And then we're going out to Nyland. I think I was gone, I mean like 290 days that year. Then finally he's like, okay, you can go, leave me alone. So I, I weaseled my way into an LNO position for the siege of Sodaf. And I worked that for about a month, and then I was down working for the chief of station in Kabul because I identified a problem. Mm -hmm. I I looked at the entire spectrum of all of the operations that that are taking place, and I'm looking. We were completely – we were not employed to the capacity that we should be as SEALs, and it's because we didn't have assets and authorities and all this stuff. So I laid this plan out. I'm like, if we tied this asset to this person who has control over this, then we can execute the mission better as SEALs. And I went to John, gosh, what was his name? Selesky, Colonel Selesky was the siege, siege sort of commander. I said, Colonel, NAVSOF is not being employed to our capacity. And he's like, I know, you know what's going on. And I said, Sure, if we do this, 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 and this, and he goes, All right, beat it. He was he was the finest joint warfare fighter I've ever worked with. But, I mean, Repass was another one. He's another Army guy. Unfortunately, I, I wish I could lay out this list of SEAL admirals I can say that about. There's a few, but. Yeah, John was just, he was amazing. And uh, he's like, get down there and get it on, Vano. What's up? Beat feet. So we tied together for theater soft, the first real uh, interagency integration. Nice. Like biometrics. You Remember biometrics? Yeah. So everyone's like, you know, so I was there and I was sitting around, you know, reflecting, because you should reflect. And I was looking at one of those charts where it has... Um, all the people on a targeted list. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we don't know who is still around. Off this list, we don't know. And so I went and talked to a guy named Jax, he's still a super good friend of mine, he's the senior FBI agent in the country, and his office was right around the corner from mine, down in uh, Kabul, at the uh, annex. And I'm like, Jax, how does the FBI know who people are after they're deceased? And he's like, well, you know, we, do fingerprints. We do all this stuff. I'm like, well, okay. So how do we do that here? And he's like, well, I don't know. There, I mean, this is a huge story. Mm-hmm. So I figured out a thing for us to be able to, um, initially fingerprint folks. So the first time, th- this is why I am the Forrest Gump of the SEAL teams. Mm-hmm. So the first time that TheaterSoft ever used biometrics in Afghanistan, really in the war on terror was because I cooked up this idea with this dude who was on the Memphis SWAT team. And, So we went out through this very complicated series of stuff, AC-130 and 47s and all night and, you know, big target deck and everything. And he had, like, the Johnny G-Man, you know, 1930s FBI fingerprint kit, the blue suitcase with the (laughs) silver corners to fingerprint these, you know, the, the enemy combatants that were no longer around. That's how all that started. That was an incredibly interesting thing, man. And then I rolled back and I went to Team Five where I was a potential.
0: <laughs> what year was that? What year was that that where you were in Afghanistan for 2003.
1: the first time? I left October 13th, 2003. October. I remember that because it's the That's when you left Afghanistan for my first tour, yeah. Wait, you left for Afghanistan or no, you were I coming came home? back? Got it. I came back. So it took me I was there for 6 or 7 months, so you know do the math between mm-hmm. September 11th to that point. Yeah. But um, that's the birthday of the Navy, no, Jocko. There you, go. there you go. I was not aware of that. Sorry. What? Yeah. What can I say? Horrible oh, sailor. I'm a, I'm a horrible <laughs> sailor. <laughs> Sorry about that. But um, yeah, I came back and then I went to uh, Team 5 where I was a platoon chief.
0: So you get to Team 5. Now it's 2003. So at this point,
1: we are full on, like, everyone's it's going in to it, war. it. Yeah. in it to win it. Iraq opened up. Right when I got back from Afghanistan, I can't remember when we invaded, but it was right around there. I saw it was, so the plan for that was 1003 Victor. So 1003 was the the baseline operational plan. And then the letters on the end are how many, um, how many different iterations of it. Yeah. Right. So it got down to Victor. So 1003 Victor was the plan when I left. And all the heavy lift aircraft started leaving Afghanistan when I was there. And I'm like, there's only so much heavy lift aircraft. And I go, oh my gosh, they're going to do 1003 Victor. So me coming back, I don't know exactly the periodicity when the, the actual invasion kicked off, but I knew it was going to happen yeah. because of the heavy-lift aircraft. Lady. Um, so, you know, I'm a platoon chief, and I want to go to war with my dudes. I mean, I there's one of these books written by Dick Couch that they interviewed us when I was teaching land warfare. And in that book, I'm like, he's like, what do you want to do, essentially? I'm like, my goal is to become a platoon chief. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. That to me that's a pinnacle of an enlisted SEALs job is being a platoon chief. Then I, I was a troop chief later, but that was, you know, the thing. Um, and then we wind up they, they get this mission, this mission set protecting these Iraqi dignitaries. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh man. So I mean not that it's not important, but the war was not going well mm-hmm. at the time and again i said this earlier but that mission was declassified in 2009 so the top 6 iraqi officials were protected by seal platoons. then um they it's kind of cool they randomly assigned nfl football teams names that was your your call sign guess what mine was no idea packers oh there you go from wisconsin <laughs> i'm like this dude might live man like <laughs> whoa so um yeah, we protected a guy. He was a deputy vice president is Ibrahim Al Jaffrey. He was a family physician at six kids. Uh, fled Saddam, lived in Iran, wound up in London, and um, it was a. It was really. It was amazingly uh, interesting to do that mission, and all the bros are out down. You guys are doing your gig, you know, and um, I was essentially. I, I went to every place in that country, running protection for a guy that's running a political campaign during a war where everybody wants to kill you. Yeah, no, it was, uh,
0: it was a miracle. Not just a miracle. Uh, it was freaking awesome work by the guys yeah. to keep the, all those guys safe. I mean, there was everybody wanted all those, uh, well, not, not everybody, but a big significant number portion. of people wanted to kill one or any one right. of those people and that leadership was kept alive Yeah. for, how long was that mission? Cause you said I was out doing, I wasn't doing anything. At that point <sighs> I'd come there? back, you know, I really, you know, my timing was really, really good because yeah, I, know. I was, went up, did just DAs mm-hmm. for my first deployment, mm-hmm. which was just awesome. As we left, that mission came up. Right. And then when I came back, it was over. So right. I, I had um, awesome timing as far as not having to do that mission.
1: It, it lasted through, I mean, I came back after the elections. So, again, the Forrest Gump thing, man, remember everybody's fingers dipped? Yeah, yeah, All right, so there's a picture of this guy who became the first democratically elected prime minister in Iraq's history, right? There's a picture of him with his finger up there. I'm standing directly behind the camera that took that picture <laughs> because <laughs> I was responsible for his security. Um, so, oh, back to Chris, man. So he, he's coming in, and Bliff is there, and we're rotating out, right? And two really funny things happen with him. One, it's it's a prestige thing. And so wait, so
0: he's coming in with Team Seven, or who's he coming in with? Your Team Five must
1: have been. Yeah, I don't know who it was. I mean, he was the chief, and and, cool. and Blyff was his OIC, you know. And um, so two funny things happen. There's a cultural thing in um, some Arabic countries, uh, Iraq being one, where um, you want to be as close to the center of power as possible. I guess that's here in the United States too. But um, so we would run these motorcades right uh lead limo follow and then you'd have uh elements ahead of you and then behind you so if anything happened you can skedaddle and these guys get in the gunfight so you're protecting the principal and i talked to these guys over and over again i'm like look you're very important people i get that you know you're the minister of whatever the heck but our sole function is to make sure that echo lives you know what I mean? We're going to help mm. you whatever you want, medical, but that will not be to the detriment of making sure that echoes a lot. Check. So they always try to weasel into this convoy and these guys had one of those beautiful old Mercedes Benz like the powder blue. You know I'm talking the mm. big, Just awesome. And the guy's name was Adnan Phil Phil. He was his, his security chief. Phil Phil is um, Arabic for pepper because he had a real hot temper, you know, <laughs> and Chris is in the car with both, and we're sitting there, you know, blazing through Baghdad and um, look in the mirror. You know, it's, it's interesting when you're in combat, you get to that point where you see everything. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. things are happening over yeah. here yeah. and you have a full holistic understanding of your environment. And that's really why I think people miss being in that, you know, in combat because you are completely alive. Anyway, so I'm talking to them I'm like, Oh my gosh, hold on a sec, this guy is weaseled behind us in this powder blue Mercedes. It's on not fulfilled. So I just open up my door, like this, so this up armor, and I point my M4 back at him. I mean, clearly I'm not gonna shoot him, but I, I point my M4 at him, he's like, and goes back to the back of the, the line of this, you know, huge motor game. And Crystal's like, What just happened? <laughs> he actually uses some <laughs> expletives, and I'm like I'm trying to tell you, these people are going to keep doing that. They're on our side. But um, it's very important um, that they understand the ground rules that are being set here. And that's going to happen over and over again. Chris, doesn't matter how hard you try. They're going to keep doing this. And then the other thing, it's funny, we're down at, um, do you remember who Tarek Aziz was?
0: I remember that name.
1: Saddam Hussein's foreign minister, the guy with the big sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Okay, so his house was taken over by a guy named Abdul Aziz Hakim who was part of the Dawa party and it was right by the, you, you exited the green zone, went over the 14th July Bridge, uh-huh. And it's like right there. Right? Uh-huh. So that's where all these meetings are taking place. So we had to go down there. They only take the AIC, which is the agent in charge. That was the, you know, renamed OIC. They take him inside. They didn't want anybody else there. So we've got all these cars around and I have my car and my body armor's in there, my helmet's in there, my rifle's in there and I have a pistol and we'd set up everywhere and you'd be there for hours and hours and hours so i'd go around checking everybody or it was you know good to go i'm in um chris and bliss car and i'm like okay so if we have an, an indirect attack mortar artillery whatever um you just got to wait a minute and see if it develops into a complex attack meaning so they mortar stuff and then they can use that to make everybody go to ground and then they can start infiltrating you know with ground troops so I go, so if, if that happens and you, know, you just wait a sec and then you punch out a perimeter immediately so that no one can infiltrate your lines and you got to just, you got to do it like, boom, this happens, go. And I open up the door, I hop out and boom, like right over there, huge explosion. I go, just like this. And I sit back in the car, like seriously, I said, just like this. And I sit back in the car, wait a minute. Okay, go. And then I realize I don't have a rifle. I have my pistol. So you remember that little the green army man, the medic running with the pistol. So I'm running in Baghdad with the pistol. I start. wait, where was
0: your freaking weapon, bro?
1: It was in my vehicle, which was right next to theirs. Like Mm. right there.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, so you went over to tell them what to do.
1: I was going in, I was briefing them about how to handle different attack scenarios. And that one
0: time you did the
1: one time, you know, that happens.
0: That's freaking awful. And
1: so I'm like, you know, running to a perimeter with a pistol in my hand, I start chuckling because I'm like, I just look absurd at this point. God. But I'm a very good pistol shot, by the way. Um, and <laughs> what, what it turned out. That ain't going to cut it, bro. That ain't going <laughs> to cut it. No, seriously. I know. Hey, listen, I, I think we should discuss things, warts and all, you know. But um, w- what happened was the um, Iraqi police had, had an AD with an RPG. Mm. So that was not an impact, that was an outgoing yeah. Um, but they have yeah. that moon dust out there, yeah. you know, so you couldn't tell it looked like a, a mortar round coming. It didn't sound like a mortar round, but yeah. it, it looked like one because mm-hmm. of the impact. So that's my funny seal story right there.
0: <laughs> what did you learn from a leadership perspective on that deployment? That's a tough deployment from a different angle because you got guys that are pissed to be doing this job, right. but it's a very,
1: it's a strategic mission to keep these guys alive. Mm. Um, I learned—well, I didn't really learn it. It just reinforced some things for me. Um, The mission always comes first, no matter what. And the mission's America. It's not some of this woke bullshit that these uh, military officers are coming up with now. Sorry for swearing, but that that ain't the mission, dude. The mission's America. And that's got to happen every day. That's why, you know, my fat, bald person, I'm running for Congress now because the mission is America, and, and America's being failed. By our leadership. Anyway, side note. So mission comes first. And then I also learned to let some things roll. And, and this is why we were late. But so the doctor lived in the Codicea, which was a, uh, like a neighborhood right outside of checkpoint 11. So checkpoint 11 went from the green zone to route Irish where everybody's getting killed all the time. You had to drive down a mile or so, whatever button hook left into the codicea to pick this guy up. And, um, uh, so we we're late, and I'm like, you know, frick, frack, frack, brr, You know, being a seal, sailor guy, we're living in Uday Hussein's one of his joints. On, uh, I think it was Grey Wolf was the fob there, but anyway. So we're late, and then boom, just massive, massive car bomb goes off right at checkpoint eleven. Like it was so big, it blew a car like fifty feet up on top of a tree. And here's what happened: they knew we were going to the Codicea. Mm -hmm. And they had this huge bomb, and the traffic keeps going forward and forward and forward and forward. It finally gets to the checkpoint, and they clack themselves off. We were supposed to be in that line, passing. It would have killed the entire platoon except for the one guy we had working at the jock. So that was a real lesson. Um, Yeah, should you strive to be on time? Sure. Um, But you need to make sure that um, if things are going a little hinky, Mm Try to figure out why. Yeah, it, I used
0: to have a, uh, you know, my my thing was my joke was, but it wasn't really a joke, but it kind of was. You know, you'd have no go criteria, like, yeah. hey, we we don't have the aircraft cover we want, that's no go, or we don't have enough vehicles, right. or we. And I used to joke, but I would serious. I'd be like, no, it's we have in my tasking we have go go criteria,
2: right. which is we're going, right.
0: and we don't have aircraft. we'll, we'll, we'll call tanks. We, but but occasionally, even with that attitude, I'd be like, well. Okay, we don't have this. We don't have that. We, you know, this isn't working out. We haven't talked to these people. And I'd be like, the universe is conspiring against this operation and we're not going to do it. Right. So it's just like a gut feeling where I'd like, I can, there's, I'll cover it. obstacle, 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 no factor, no factor, no factor, right. no factor, no right. factor. This, there's, this is, this is, we're not doing this.
1: Well, that's a function of maturity. Yeah. It really is. Um, and sometimes you just look at things and you're like, Non-starter. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay.
0: So uh, you get done with this deployment. In Iraq. In Iraq. Correct. And then what's your next move? So that's your platoon chief deployment. You get done with that deployment. What's your next move?
1: I came back, and I'm a plank owner at what was known as the support activities.
0: Support activities. So, So you're going there, and the support activity basic mission is to... Gather intelligence we'll yeah, it was say. like a
1: combination of all the ints, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I just had a knack for that too. So, I was one of the first five guys, you know, sitting around trying to figure this out. Rob Newsom was the first skipper, um, he's a retired captain now. He worked for the 76ers doing some stuff, um, no idea, yeah. But, um, yeah, that was a very, very um, rewarding time mm-hmm. to build something else up from the ground because I only built or helped build, you know, this is not clearly, this is all a team effort, but um, help build the special reconnaissance, land warfare, mm-hmm. part of trade ed. And then doing that, it's like the whole team, which nice. was, which was fascinating. And then I did some yep. deployments from that that are not really a topic for discussion.
0: Right. And how, but how long did you spend there? Oh my gosh. Like three years. It couldn't have been that long
1: actually. Well, I came back from Iraq. And then that was would have been two thousand five or six, and I think I left there in two thousand eight ish. It's like two or three years okay. there, because I went to Special Operations Command Europe after that.
0: After that, but didn't you go to seven first. So,
1: yeah, sorry. Because I know right, right. That's, when you right. I I really, that's when you and I really—that's when you
0: and I crossed. Back. I think right. we'd met each other along the way at some point. Right. But we—I didn't actually
1: say one P I D U right until. I was at trade at, and right. you were at team and seven. I was a troop chief, so I went from, you're right, it was Sport Activity mm-hmm. Team Seven, Special Operations Command Europe, and then I retired out of Senseo Swick.
0: So, okay, so you do, you're doing, working with the ints, and by what you mean mm-hmm. by that is human intelligence, signal intelligence, all that kind of intelligence gathering, we'll say you did that for a few years. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna talk about that here. And then you go. What, there? you
1: wanna see something cool? Keep talking, go ahead.
2: Well,
0: you're breaking stuff up.
1: I want to show you one of the coolest pictures ever. Oh, okay. Um, Because this was on uh, my last deployment from Afghanistan. Check that one out. That's a winner. (laughs) (laughs) That picture's taken about three or four months after the boat scene on Active Valor was filmed.
0: The boat scene on Active Valor was filmed. So, Active is a movie with mm-hmm. a bunch of seals in it. Right.
1: I'm in the movie. When was that filmed? Gosh, it was. It that, wasn't, that wasn't That until later. It came out in 2012 or something, but that, it took like three years to film that mm-hmm. movie because everybody except for the officer in the, the film deployed to combat during the filming of that movie. Mm-hmm. And like, what happens if someone gets killed? It's going to wreck the movie. You're like, well, thanks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Deeply appreciate
1: your caring about us. You're going to have to rewrite a script that will take you eight minutes because there was no script. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think it came out in 2012. So they started filming that in 2009ish. Because I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was. I was working up to go to Afghanistan when that was filmed, and that. Got it. So here's here's what happened with that movie.
0: Well, let's let's talk to Seal Team 7 first. Okay. So you well, get, this
1: is at Seal Team Seven. Right. So. Really. Yeah. So check this out. So I am a troop chief at Team Seven, and then this super specialized mission came along that I had done previously, mm-hmm. and I'm the only one at the team that has done this. And I'm the only one with the qualification, well, there's two other guys with the same qualification as me, but I'm the only one that has actually done this mission, working for this other subset of people doing this stuff. So the skipper's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, God bless him. He had no idea. He goes, you can pick anybody you want from the team and take him to go do this. So me and the guy who I I won't mention, he's actually right next to me in that picture because he's still active duty. We went through everybody's records at team seven. I'm like... You know, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And then we need comms guys and all these other folks. And we put together this little group of folks to deploy to Afghanistan to do this super specialized mission. That was at Team 7. So I went from being a a troop chief. We had uh, 56 or sixty. That was after
0: after you did your troop chief?
1: That was my troop chief deployment. So we we sent guys to Uh. Balad. Iraq was not happening. Mm -hmm. They're wearing starch uniforms, and they have no magazines in their guns. They walk around saluting people in Iraq, and I'm like, I don't want any part of that. (laughs) And then there was a small group that went to Afghanistan to get reattached to the siege of Soda for the first time since Red Wings happened. And then I took another group of guys over here. So my guys got farmed to Balad Mm -hmm. to do nothing. Mm -hmm. A small group of them, it's declassified now, went to Yemen, and then we went to Afghanistan to do this other subset. Got it. So we didn't have a traditional yeah. you know, task unit go out and uh, you know, like bruiser. Mm-hmm. We didn't it just wasn't available. Yeah. It just so it wasn't happening. No, it wasn't. So I went and did that. How'd you like being a troop chief? You know what? Um, it was interesting, but it's not it's not uh it wasn't like his hands on. Mm. The logistics part was you know, it was more difficult. To get done, um, and then you you are managing personalities. Um, you know, I could I, I would prefer to do this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess if your your troop gets all split up, yeah, then I mean, you do if the if we the had hurts. a
1: traditional troop or a traditional, you know, air quotations, you know, oh five oh six Iraq, or um, if we could do like uh, 03, Afghanistan, where you are seriously getting it, Mm -hmm. that would have been much different. Um, But in effect, you know, I had guys like one of my guys I'll give you an example of why uh, one of my guys, I think I had six SEALs with me. So going from like 60 SEALs to Mm -hmm. six, but they're all like, you know what? We were doing that. Like driving around in thin-skinned vehicles by ourselves during the day in Afghanistan. And your QRF is not coming. Mm -hmm. So... The level of stress that is applied i mean it's so much easier and you know this to go with 50 dudes and lock something down and go in and just you know do seal stuff and that's great and it you know we get a lot of it's very stressful that's really stressful when you got to plan these things in detail intricate and if you make one mistake it's over um and i did that for several years i mean it's upper division warfare is what i call it upper division warfare yeah, it is totally because you have to have a, a holistic understanding of all the thresholds going from the ELIN, the electronic warfare perspective all the way down to how do I shoot my gun? Way different than, you know, go that way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when you build this picture, <clears throat> you have um, you have like a, a global perspective, but for a local area and you understand you have all these triggers that if they start getting pinged you got to bail mm-hmm. and sometimes you intentionally trigger them so yeah, interesting so that was troop, ch- troop chief thing um, in a way it was not as exciting as it should have been but yeah. again that's the first place like I said that's the first time that I like
0: remember you PIDing like oh yeah that's because right. you know I'd seen you around and you were at right. SA whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. But, sure. but that's the first time I remember you like we were yeah. out at, de- at desert training and yeah. like meeting you and hanging out and running the FTXs and all that stuff, right. having good times. Yeah. Carrying some, you were carrying some, you know, some wounded men out there, which. I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which uh, seems to have left a mark on some people emotionally <laughs> at
1: this juncture. I was a little bit, yeah. I was a little bit crazy when it came back. So. All right, um, man. Hey, listen, know. I got it. I'll tell you something. I don't know if you're, your viewers understand this. So I remember when you came back and you went around the teams and you gave a brief that you called the pressure. Mm. Remember that? Yeah. The pressure. And at that point, cause I didn't know you either. You know what I mean? You're like some dude, bad haircut, <laughs> probably lifts too many weights and drinks energy drinks, you know, whatever just, you know, Total diamond doesn't seal. Let's just be honest. <laughs> it's good to be the diamond in the rough. Um, but you gave this brief And it was, you called it the pressure, and it it was, uh, what you're doing is you're conveying, I mean, this is my perspective, obviously, you wrote it, um, conveying the burden of leadership and the fact that you truly, at that point, got it, which is a lot of officers never get it. And I was watching you, and I thought you were much younger than me at the time, I don't know, but I was like, this guy gets it, like he understands ramifications of poor decision making, and... Things are real, Um, and it just doesn't affect you know your reputation as I'm a I'm a great operator. You know that it affects families, and that it affects the nation. And I understood that. That's when I really got a respect for you when listening to you see that because I could see your heart was breaking when you're discussing this and that you weren't making anything up. Being very genuine about leadership is really important, and we're missing that, dude. We're missing that from the. Tactical, strategic, and operational level throughout our country and private industry and the government, especially, it's it's terrible. So now yeah, you guys know. <clears throat>
0: yeah, I, I I haven't given that brief in a long time, um, and I remember thinking about it and you know, un- thinking about the experiences that I had. You know, when when we deployed in Tasking a Bruiser you know, we hadn't lost any guys on the West Coast yet. right? And, you know, even looking into, you know, we were just talking about the workup and you're going through the workup and like a down man was like a a theoretical thing, a a, a problem solving event that you're gonna get and you're gonna go through it and okay, now that person gets, you know, you're back to life at the end of that training mission. And uh, obviously that's not the reality of the situation. Correct and and trying to make sure to convey that to the guys. And that's, you know, when I got done with that deployment, um, you know, the, the Admiral, who I knew, was like, where do you want to go? And I 100% just said, I, I want to go to, I want to go to Traydet, I want to go to Traydet and run training. And the reason is because, first of all, all the guys in my task unit were all gonna go right back into another platoon, right. and they were all gonna go right back overseas into that meat grinder. And it didn't look like, you know, this was in 2006 when we got home, it was still, you couldn't tell when it was gonna stop. It just looked like it was gonna go on indefinitely. We saw some indications that, looking in hindsight, you could see that, oh, that was an indication that things were gonna settle down. But you couldn't positively identify them at the time. Coming home from deployment, it was like, no, this is gonna last, we're gonna have to do this in All these other cities, it's just going to continue. Everyone's going back to this meat grinder. And I want to make sure that I can convey these lessons to the guys that are going to go back over there and get in it. And that's what that's that's where that came from. So you
1: you went to trade at for the same reasons I did. But six years later.
0: Yeah. yep. It was to pass on those lessons and get.
1: Things headed in the right direction. Increase combat survivability of SEALs.
0: Hundred percent, and that's why you know we're out at an island or we're out at at the the urban training sites. And it was like, uh, you know, I I remember feeling I'd see a guy like in in an urban environment standing in the middle of the street, and I would literally have a sick to my stomach. Not when I'd see a guy standing in the open. This is in training, right? And I'd you know go over and be like, you know. Clutter. Yeah, go find cover because you're waiting for the guy to get shot. Yeah. And that's a horrible feeling and um, Doing the best to pass those lessons on that's you know, that was the goal. Yeah
1: That should be everybody's goal. Yeah, it's I When you, you take that and you transition it to a civilian life um, I tell people a couple things frequently It is the minimum responsibility of every American citizen to pass on to their children a country where they have at a minimum the same ability to choose, to have options. And we're failing at that as a society, collectively. If you think about what the government did to the population during this COVID crap, um, you can't deny it. There's five elements to the First Amendment. There's freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly and freedom to seek redress for grievances, right? All of those were smashed into the ground during COVID. So it's our responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen again. How do we do that? We take the empiric knowledge from what we went through these last two years and we apply that nakedly, meaning we don't try to read into it, we just look at it and say what it is. And the government now is trying to hide everything. They're trying to do everything back.
0: Yeah, which is one of the worst things possible. When when you make a mistake, you you go, hey, look, I I made a mistake here. And this was this was horrible during the whole thing because hey, if you think that this thing spreads this way and it's good, and you look up three months later and that turns out to not be true, you say, hey, listen, I made a mistake here. We thought it was this; it was that. Here's the adjustment. You know, I wouldn't send you out on an operation and say, hey, you know, I want you to hit this target from the north, and you go, okay, okay, boss, sounds good. And you hit a couple IEDs on the way in, and you go, hey, Jocko, there's IEDs here. I don't go, well. You just keep going where I told you to go. No, I say, hey, look, I made a mistake on the analysis of the scenario. Back out. Let's figure out a better way. No factor. And by the way, you're 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 not you don't lose respect for me. You go, oh, well, Jock was willing to admit that he made a mistake of the analysis of this. And learn from it. And learn from it. And now we're gonna make some adjustments. And to see the egos come out where there's no admission that, hey, you know what? I actually I I, I made a bad assessment here. It was wrong, and here's the adjustment we need to make. As far as I can tell right now, and by the way, there's a decent chance gonna me wrong again. Which, which also is why I'm not over committing and overstating things. Right. You know, I, I always have fun when I work with companies and I'll say, how, how, often do you, you know, how, how often do you people think I have to admit that I'm wrong? And people will think, oh, you know, because I talk about being humble and they go, oh, you admit that you're wrong all the time. And I go, no, I hardly ever have to admit that I'm wrong. And the reason I hardly ever have to admit that I'm wrong is because I hardly ever say, I'm 100% right about this thing. Right this is how we should do this mission, or this is what this means, or this is how, how to, you should interpret this. No, I say, hey, this is what it looks like from my perspective.
1: Let's take a small step and see what we learn. And I say, so I, I agree with it mostly there, but it's, to me, it's not, this is how I think we should do this. That's okay. When, when people, um, and this was one of the things that we had to break when we were writing all that curriculum for uh, SR and, and uh, land warfare. This is how this is done. When you say to somebody, this is how this is done, you're over. Because this is how this was done at this time in yeah. this place with this series of variables.
0: Yeah. Well, the, so you actually agree with what I said. Because what I said is. Sort of. Well, <laughs>
1: well, what I'm saying is,
0: hey, this is what I think we should do right now. Okay. Not not this is what we should do. Yes.
1: This is what I think we should do right now. Well, no, 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 no. Not This is. This is mm-hmm. not what okay, there's a difference. So this is what we should do mm-hmm. is different than this is how this is done. Just, so this is what we should do yeah. means that this is uh, the way that I think at this particular time this should be done right because of these variables. It's mm-hmm. open. it's open this is how this is done is it's closed. It's wrong. Yeah, decision yep. making is, yep. is, has not taken place. Yeah, so yeah. that's
0: why I hardly ever have to admit that I'm wrong because I hardly ever say, this hey, I'm 100% right about this thing right yeah. here. No, you're not gonna catch me saying that because how often can you be accurate with that? It's very, very seldom that it you're is. gonna be in a scenario where you know something with 100% certainty. It almost never happens. And I would rather, even if I'm 99% certain, what do I gain out of you know, imposing some directive on you? Right. If you're working for me, what, what am I gonna gain out of that? Right. You got your perspective, there's a decent chance you see something I don't see, so my mind's open. Hey Derek, I think my, this might be a good way to do this op. And you go, well, I don't agree. Okay, well what do you think? Let's talk. And my gut, my, my bias is to go with what you say. Okay, my, That is my bias is to, you come up with a way to do something, it doesn't matter if I'm, it, here's the other interesting thing. It doesn't matter if we're peers or I'm your boss or you're my boss. My bias is to go with what you say. Now look, if you're totally off the off the res right. and your idea is just ridiculous, well, it's very easy for me to articulate, hey, Derek, I know you wanna do this you know, jumping parachutes out of the space shuttle, but right. it's gonna be really hard for us to get the space shuttle for this operation what? in a short period of time, I so. Thought, I
1: thought you were wheeling heat, Jocko. Exactly.
0: It's very easy to articulate right. that, but it, if I'm having a hard time articulating why I think something should be done a certain way, uh-huh. then that's a big indicator that maybe it's not worth arguing and maybe it's just easier to say, okay, you know what, Derek, let's, let's,
1: let's roll with your dice. If you're incapable of articulating appropriately, the methodologies that you're applying to a problem set, you have not thought them through well enough. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Someone taught a seal how to read. Baby. What's <laughs> up? <laughs> it's a,
0: it's a real good indicator sure. of that. Uh, so you roll out on this deployment, you're doing mm-hmm. some, what'd you say? Higher level? What'd you say? What was your word? Upper division warfare. Upper division warfare uh, running around uh, without a ton of support, Correct. if any. And you get done with that deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, won't go into the details of that one. You come back, what's your next job?
1: Okay, I was gonna go teach what I was doing. Cause I, believe you should do that, mm-hmm. right? Like, we talked about that. Um, but then they came... With, so I was a senior chief at that point, And the billet, the job, was for an E7, not an E8. Mm-hmm. And that's when they went through and they said, hey, look, you used to be able to do one up, one down. So the, the billet is for an E7, and E6 could go do that, or uh, E8, right? You could do one up, one mm-hmm. down. They're like, no more of this. We don't have enough guys to do this stuff. It's an E7 billet. So I'm like, oh, man. So I, I go check-in is down at the elephant cage at advanced training and i was just kind of sitting there and they're like we got to find an e7 billet you know and there was not because that's a platoon chief job mm-hmm. and i just got done being a troop chief nerd you know so finally i go up to warcom this is like a month into this and i feel like i'm stealing money from the government you know <laughs> what i mean because i'd go in and check and like "Well, oh, we got nothing to do and uh so i go up to um pugs is the guy and um pugs, pugs right so i'm like <laughs> pugs dude I I need a job and he's like well I don't know so he pulls up the list of like all the seal billets on the planet right and Bosnia I flew through Germany Stuttgart Bublingen is actually the name of the town on the way there and on the way back and I'm like and uh, my wife she did like a semester in Germany Mm -hmm. in college so I'm like "Mm, right there I want to go there he's like okay so I get a billet. <laughs> I get a billet as the J 35 which is the contingency operations NCYC at Special Operations Command Europe. That's why I went up there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know I have a knack for this stuff. I the upper division warfare stuff applies. I understand how to you know take very complex problem sets and uh, distill them down into readily available and achievable solutions. Like it's just something I'm good at. And so I wrote all the contingency op- the soft response to contingency operations plans for all the countries in Europe. And then we developed further. Some of them being executed right uh, now, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, the Unconventional uh, Warfare Campaign Plan for um, the Ukraine is one of them. Um, so at that time when I left in 2012, uh, me and this other guy named Derek, who's a retired Special Forces Colonel, we gave the Ukrainians a month. Like So we were planning for a Russian invasion, of the Ukraine in 2000, that's 2009, 10. Yep. Right. People think the military doesn't do stuff, we do. Um but we gave him a month because the authorities were different. And what do you mean you gave him a month? Gave him a month. We month thought within what? a month the Russians would take over the entire country. Oh, got it. Like we gave him a month. DOD I think it was giving him about a week. But, you know, intuitively, Derek had multiple combat tours as a special forces officer, the fantastic officer. Um but we gave him a month because we knew him better. And um, then they change the authorities when this happens, so you could give them javelins and stingers, and also the, the 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 weapons that are doing this. So the the crux of the plan, without getting you know real deep into it, is disaggregated small unit operations facilitated by high tech weapons. That's it, you know. And then also you have external intelligence and all that stuff. And that's just taking place. So that truly was an amazingly. Uh, it was very intellectually stimulating to do that. Uh, and, you know, at that point, because I broke my back and all this stuff, and I, I can't carry a rock anymore. And uh, that's really why I got out of the teams is because I just couldn't do the job physically. I didn't want to Brett Favre myself. You know what I mean? Which, Brett should have just retired, dude. Green Bay, why'd you go to Minnesota? Brett, I'm looking right into the camera. Why did you do that? Um, so doing that really kept me engaged in, um, in what was taking place really at that point globally. And um, so Benghazi went down when I was there mm-hmm. and there were still, uh, SOCAF was getting stood up, Special Operations Command Africa, and there was a uh, commanders in extremist force sharing agreement. And, you know, so it was, I was really um, very deeply involved in the aftermath of Benghazi and everything the Clinton folks told you and Obama is a lie. In terms of what? The, that should not have happened. And as it was happening, it should have been stopped and, and could have been stopped. Right. So, I mean, background on that, um, Jimmy Carter, who previously was the worst president in American history, (laughs) only superseded by the current one, Joe Biden. He is terrible. He just is. It's very difficult to watch. It's terrible. I mean, it's painful. Um, so Jimmy Carter did something called Chief of Mission Authority. So the, the, An American ambassador's real title is Chief of Mission. So the Chief of the Diplomatic Mission, that's the real title. And uh, Carter said, look, no military forces will go into a country without the approval of the Chief of Mission, unless it's a Title X designated country. Meaning so Title Ten is the Department of Defense thing, and we're like, hey, we're going to invade Iraq. That becomes a Title X deal. The military can move troops back and forth into that country without going through the State Department. That was not the case for uh, Libya. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Mm -hmm. So So the State Department has... So Ambassador Stevens had to approve the troops that were on their way to Benghazi, had to approve them landing in the country, but he was dead. And the State Department didn't answer the phone. Tina now was there along with Secretary Clinton. She's ultimately responsible. They just didn't answer the phone.
0: And birds were spinning up and there's ready to
1: roll. If, if you look up Jackal stone, 12, I think just Google it. Jackal stone is a special operations forces, um, annual European exercise. You probably did it if you were two, did you? No. Okay. But I know, but I know what the exercise is. Okay. So that was taking place in split Croatia and you know that the SIF is there and they have a full pack. None of this is classified by the way. Um, they have a full package. They got shooters. They got comms. They got um, medical. They have resupply. You know, water, everything. That bird was going there because that's why it's there. Mm-hmm. In case it's something like purpose. that happens, and the agreement between SOCAF and and SOC was in place because SOC-AF didn't have a SIF yet. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but no one answered the phone, so you can't land that plane. And Ty Woods, man. Did you know Ty? Yeah. Okay, yep. he's a total friend of mine, man. Yeah. And I didn't know Glenn. Dougherty. He was
0: in my class. He was in my butt's class. Ty was? Yep. Yep. And he ended up getting rolled. But, <laughs> you know, he spent, uh, you know.
1: Also. Right. So, shameful. And that, I truly, I mean, I knew it before because I'd seen it on a macro level. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't really seen uh, on a, excuse me, on a micro level I've seen it. But on a macro level I hadn't seen Really, the hardcore ramifications of incredibly poor decision-making. Other than the fact we invaded Iraq when we did. I mean, that was a big thing. Um, But that really, really brought it home um, that you just can't do that. You you have to be, if you're in a position of leadership, your phone is on all the time.
0: Yeah, well, actually, superior to that is when you're in a position of leadership, you set up decentralized command where people can make decisions without having to run things all the way up to the top. Yeah. That's what you do. Um,
1: that's the, um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how things should function. Great. Now that depressing. No.
0: Yeah. So, so this is what you're doing. You get a really, um, good look strategically at the world through right. this tour that you do right at sock. you yep. in a J 35 billet doing planning and contingency planning. And that's just a, a, a great view to go from being a troop commander, literally on the ground. And then even as a troop commander being for this particular deployment at a more, even more tactical level than a normal troop command, but troop
1: correct, but doing a strategic level mission.
0: Yes. And then, but you're on the ground doing it.
1: Yeah. That's the difference.
0: And then you get to go to a a situation where you're seeing the strategic planning for these things that take place in the future. So there's a really good education for
1: you. It's tremendous.
0: And you do how many years?
1: Over there. 20, oh, I did three years there.
0: And how, how many kids do you got at this point? Four. They speak German at this point?
1: Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I Two just, of them graduated from high school there though. Oh, okay. But it's an American high school. It's an American high school. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I just, one of my buddies ran into a team guy and
1: his kids are all speaking German because he came back from there. Well, I probably put him in the local schools, which yeah. you can do, Yeah. we chose not to.
0: Check. Uh, you get done with that, what's your next job after that?
1: Center for SEAL and Swick Excellence. Which is the schoolhouse? No, that is the um, command that writes all the advancement exams for SEALs. It mm. writes the enlisted ladder. People don't understand, when you join the Navy, um, the Navy plans out a career for you for 30 years. So even though you think you're joining on a six-year enlistment or eight years or whatever it is, you know, active and reserve, the Navy has a plan for you, and they palm, well, I don't know what that stands for, but they budget for you being in the military for 30 years. And what um, at least the SEAL teams have done, I don't know if other communities do this, but you backwards plan on that. So by the time you're in E5, you've gone to this school, you've done this job, E6, 7, 8, and it goes all the way up. That's the ladder mm-hmm. to make sure that everybody is hopefully on par with their institutional knowledge. Um, so I did that, and it was really fun right, in the advancement exams because I'd call all my buddies and be like, hey, will you go down to Florida with me for a week? We'll get locked in a skiff, you know, a big safe, and uh, we'll go through the previous exams, and then we'll write new questions, updating the TTPs and all of the things for the SEAL teams. And then in order to get promoted, SEALs would have to take that. Yeah. Um, so that was awesome, too. That's a way to get back to the community. But I went there because um, I needed to, like, get my medical situation in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took, like, a year and a half.
0: Because at this point,
1: you're just a beat-up old frog man, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That's why I'm fat right now. I, if I go PT right now, I can't walk. I mean, I've got a handicap placard for my car. Damn. Yeah. Damn. So, I mean, my knees and hips and back and I got, I got a ricochet in the face. It was in training. does It counts for nothing. I didn't even get a free dental appointment because of that, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I went there to, you know, dual purpose, get myself physically, you know, up to par, at least documented appropriately mm-hmm. so that when I retired, cause I knew I was going to retire, um, you know, it would be less of a burden, mm-hmm. and um, so that's really what I did there. And again, I've had, I've had the ability and the luck, and I think I'm blessed, man. I mean, I am. I, I have a deep and abiding faith in God, and I, I look back, you know, all the way back to getting hit in the head with the shackle. All that led to all this stuff. You know, there's, there's, I, I am one of the luckiest human beings that has ever existed, and I am so full of gratitude, man. I mean, I just. I get up and I'm just full of gratitude. And uh, I, I wish that more people would understand the gifts that they've been given and understand they're a gift. And when I talk to folks about the cavalry thing, like the cavalry's not coming over the mm-hmm. hill, I tell them, like, look, man, um, you're, you're placed here at this time, you know, with these people in this circumstance by God. Like, you're put here for a reason. And from my perspective, what I'm doing now And the people I'm speaking to, it's to save the greatest country that has ever existed in the history of the world. Like, the United States of America is an exceptional nation. And I don't tolerate anybody talking crap about America. It's not going to happen. And these folks that I'm dealing with, like, you were placed here by God for that, to save the United States of America. And that's a gift. And you got to accept the gift. And oftentimes gifts, you get this. Oftentimes, gifts can be perceived as a burden. You know, the gift of leadership that the talk used to give, the pressure. You're in that place at that time with those people in that circumstance, and these things happen. You're exercising the best judgment that you were capable of doing. You had the best assets in the world. You're certainly working with the finest human beings that have ever existed, and in, in, contextually in warfare for sure. And then around the block, you know, you're there for a reason because you were given the gift to be able to exercise that mission. If you're capable of doing something and you don't act on it, you're not giving glory to God. You're given the intellectual or physical ability to do things. If you don't do them, you're falling short. I believe that. Other people need to understand that. Mm
0: -hmm. What was it that made you decide that you were gonna retire? You're at, how many years was this?
1: That was I would say twenty four, I guess.
0: That's, I guess when you made the decision? Yeah. And, and I retired in
1: twenty six. And how many kids did you have? That was four. You, you were up to up to your four at this point. Yeah. Um I just I knew that I couldn't do the job to the level that 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 it deserved. Did you have
0: a retirement plan what you were gonna do when you retired?
1: No. No, man. We had bought a farm in Wisconsin probably. I 10 years before that. And I wanted to just go back to my farm. Who
0: was taking care of the farm?
1: My neighbors. How my many acres is the farm? Uh, it was 80. And what kind of farm is it? Hay. And we raised animals and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. So I, I got out and I did um, this corporate leadership stuff with Larry for a couple of years. I mean, I, I didn't stop working. Mm-hmm. And I did that. And then... Co-
0: just, what corporate leadership? Where you were just uh, helping corporations with their leadership type thing?
1: And executive coaching. I mean, yeah, the stuff you do, but not nearly at the same level. I mean, you've taken it beyond, okay. you know, uh, and it wasn't interesting to me. So I'm like, you know what? Let's go back to the farm. Where were you living when you were doing that? That was, we lived in Maple Grove, which is in Minnesota. Okay. So you moved to Minnesota after you retired for like a year because we wanted our youngest son to be able to graduate from high school. At that point, he had gone to four different high schools. Ouch! So we found a a nice Christian academy. That's really why I did all that stuff, so that he could have that period of time where he could actually graduate from high school in a place that... And where we lived is fantastic. It was Butternut, Wisconsin. It's a very small place, and we just wanted him to to be able to round out his education in a Christian setting, and that was not available there. And then we went back to the farm, and um, the the cafe in town was called the Butternut Cafe. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, but um, it failed. So the owner of the building, the person running the cafe, it didn't work well. Mm-hmm. So um, it closed. And there's 326 people in the village, and um, these people had they had taken care of our farm for like a decade. I went to Afghanistan, Iraq, the Horn of Africa and was stationed in Germany for three years. Nothing happened to that place. Not a window broken, uh, my neighbors, Tom and Maria Schulke, they'd mow our front lawn, it was like an acre and they would not take money for gas. We are not your servants, we're your neighbors. I mean, that's what these, that, people think that Americans are like these, they, uh, the image of Americans, it's not Manhattan, dude. That's it, I mean, I live in America. And people bend over backwards. We have so much more in common with each other than differences, and it's being exploited by these folks that are trying to do, I think, uh, horrible things for the country. So, but that's really America. Where I live now in Paradise, duchin it's America, you know. So this place closes. The village takes a huge hit. And I'm like, bam, oh, man. So I talked to Sergey, and I'm like, let's get this going again. So I, I bought the building from a bank, gutted it, put in new equipment. I had worked in a restaurant for— I don't know, like a year or something before I joined the Navy. Mm-hmm. Sarah was a waitress for you know three months in high school, but you know, I'm quick study, I love cooking, I've cooked around the world. You know, I did. I've made bread on five continents, dude, like made bread from yeah, flour. I haven't
0: made bread on one, you should try it, dude. It's cathartic.
1: Um, so we got the cafe going again and then sold it to a, a local lady my BFF. Her name is Bobby Munoz, she's awesome, and um, you know, now it's running. So, so many people talk about things da, 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 and a lot of people have money in there. They'll throw money at problems. You know, the government tries to throw money at problems, right? If you say you're going to do something do it and the most valuable gift you can give somebody is your time. You have a finite amount of time on this planet. Now, I, as a Christian, I believe that, you know, something beyond this, but a lot of people that don't, you only have, you only have so much time so if you really care about somebody give them your time sit down with them give them time so we we gave two years of our time back to that village because they're so dear to us and you know i walked away net neutral but the impact of showing people demonstrating to them that you truly care about them is priceless you know what i mean yeah absolutely
0: um you build this business back up. Mm-hmm. You sell the whole thing to yeah. your this, BFF. Your BFF. Mm-hmm. What's your BFF's name? Bobby. Bobby, but Bobby's a female. Female. Okay, she's Bobby. awesome. So Bobby's now running the business.
1: Uh, she has. She had uh, Jenny run that, and Bobby started Bobbers on the lake, Butternut Lake. If you want to go by, and get a beer.
0: Okay, well, this is important to put out because people right. are going to want to hit these places.
1: Yeah, so Bobber's we, Bobbers on the Lake. Uh, it's in Butternut, Wisconsin, run by Bobby Munoz. I
0: actually want to go to both these places <laughs> Dude, right she's now. A f- and I don't even drink beer, so.
1: Right, <laughs> Bobby is a whirling dervish. I mean, she is on the go. I mean, you have all these different you know entrepreneurial adventures. She's got the same thing going. I mean, she's just bam, 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 bam. So. Okay, so you, you sell that business and now you move back to the farm? No, so I'm living on the farm. Okay, you're living. Living on the farm, and then I'm turning 50. So this was three years ago now. And I'm like, this this is another point in my life where you can either, you know, kind of like just stay stagnant or you should do something to keep yourself rolling, right? So I'm like, I'm going to go to law school. And just like Bud's, man, you can't just go to law school. Why can't I just go to law school, right? So I studied for the LSAT for a month on the Khan Academy, which is awesome. It's free, you know, and took it. And I got accepted to law school, Uh, Mitchell Hamline in St. Paul. But during, so during this period of time, um, we did what we call cousin camp. So we got all the cousins. So, you know, my brother-in-laws and all the kids together. 570 people. Not
2: that many. (laughs) We get
1: them all together and um, they are given Sarah, excuse me hard time about how difficult it was because at this point we had four grandkids i think and we're having yeah we had we were having we had three we're having our fourth fifth and sixth grandkids they're going to be born in a two-month window and um so they're giving sarah jane a hard time about how difficult it was to visit our farm way up north and it's like an hour and 45 minutes to the closest regional airport and then if you're flying there it's an extra 200 bucks a person. You know, I'm not a wealthy guy. We live on our enlisted retirement. I can't afford that stuff. And, uh, or you fly into Minneapolis and it's like a four and a half hour drive. So I'm like, check, got it. I missed the kids growing up. I did, you know, I was working, deployed, training, all that stuff. So I set preconditions, uh, two of them. we we'll, we'll, I love that place up there. It took us 15 years to get the house, you know, up to, it was just perfect. And, um, I'm like, two conditions. Um, Wait, the family wants you to move. My wife wants us to go someplace closer to an airport so that our grandkids can visit us and we can visit them more regularly. Right? And I would missed our kids growing up yep. because I was a yep. frogman, yep. natural environment combat. And um, so I was, two conditions. Uh, it has to be in Wisconsin, and it has to be a hobby farm. So I get on the old internet in the kitchen in the farm. I find this place in Hager City which, oh, I did a, a, a one-hour circumference around the, the Minneapolis, St. Port, got it. Airport, right. And it had to be on what I call the right side of the river. That's politically and you know <laughs> geographically correct. <laughs> um, and so uh, I find this place in Hager City. I call them what's going on the market the next day. Small hobby farm, old farmhouse, 19 acres, 13 tillable alfalfa, not hay anymore. Like, check. I drive down the next day. I look at it. I go, okay, this is it. Put in an offer, buy the house. Moved down there. Did you sell the other place? uh, We sold it after a couple months. or it. So it's gone. And, um, excuse me. So, interestingly enough, this is how I wound up running for Congress. Because Sean Duffy, who was my rep for the longest time, if you look at Wisconsin, the uh, Ashland County is, like, right in the middle to the top, right? And it's right next to Lake Superior. Just past Glidden, which is the next village up from Butternut, it becomes very liberal, because there's an uh, environmentalist uh, liberal arts college here, North, Northlands College, right? So Sean and his crew would stop in Butternut. And he's a U.S. congressman. He's, now he's on Fox all the time with Rachel. Camp stuff here. Okay, yep. great couple, nine kids. But so they would stop in our village and I'd cook for him and his staff. So if something was coming up, he'd be like, oh, I'll just call Sean and ask him what's going on, you know? And um, so I moved down, and it, that's in Pierce County, right, which is in the 3rd Congressional District, not the 7th Congressional District. I don't know any of this stuff. I don't, I've never tracked politics or anything, right? So I'm like, oh, this impeachment was coming on. I did human intelligence for a very long period of time. I read the Steele dossier, and I knew it was absolute junk. This is manufactured. This is not true. It was submitted by a guy who was a former British intelligence officer that was clearly colluding with Russian intelligence officers to produce this thing, and it's paid for by who? No. I knew it was junk, right? So I'm like, who's my congressman? You know, because it's not Sean anymore. A guy named Ron Kind. I'm like, whoa. Hey, Ron Kind, what's your stance on the impeachment of Donald Trump for the Russian collusion stuff? Didn't write me back nothing crickets chirping and I'm like what dude the, the job title is representative it's not your lordship you know what I mean this is not how a representative democracy is supposed to function and it sure didn't with Sean so I'm getting steamed and I start looking into this cat right I mean it, finding terrorists in Pakistan is super hard you know what I mean <laughs> it's very difficult it is not difficult finding out what politicians are doing So I started looking at this guy from the perspective of doing human intelligence and finding out what this cat had been doing. He'd been in office for 22 or 23 years at the time. saying stuff in the district, you can find it in newspaper articles and and, uh, interviews. And then I'd compare that to his actual voting record. And it was just wrong. He would say one thing, go to DC and do another thing because he was working for the behest of special interest groups, not the people he's representing, right? So the impeachment vote goes down. He is number 435 out of 435 representatives to cast his vote, made public on the floor because he had to. So he told everybody in the district he wasn't going to vote for that impeachment because it was junk. I'm not doing that. Well, he did it, hoping to slide it under the radar. Nope. So I sent a text message to this guy named Jim, who worked for Sean. I'm like, Jim, who are you guys running against this guy? And he writes me back, and he goes, you. <laughs> and I write him back, and go, ha, 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 And he didn't write me back. So when you write something, and somebody writes, ha, 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 and they don't write back, they're not joking. And I was like, oh, yeah. Well, I, should be, I, I fixed problems for decades. So why aren't I fixing this problem? And I decided to run for Congress. So I got a hold of the RPW Mark Jefferson is executive director. did an interview with him, and he's like, well, yeah, I guess, you know. And I formed this nascent political group, you know. Is this, tw- is this
0: 2019?
1: This would be 2019, yeah. So in 2019, <clears throat> and um, I, I formed my, my team. I didn't know what I was doing. Here's, here's the metrics, people like hearing these metrics. So Ron Kine had been in office for, at that point, 24 years, 25 years, something like that. He had $3.1 million in the bank. He had a functioning political organization, and he had 100% name recognition, 100% Mm -hmm. kind, right? Mm -hmm. They have those kind bars. That's not him. Um, I had never thought about being in politics ever my entire life, right? We moved to the district to be closer to the airport so we can visit our children. So the only person that knew my name was my wife, right? Right. I have no money at all, zero name recognition. That's, that's the starting point. I decide to run for office. 72 hours, I announced my candidacy. They locked down the entire planet with COVID. Boom. So I ran a nine month campaign against those odds. I came within like two and a half points of beating this guy. And he wound up spending over $6 million against me. That's why he resigned. Because I announced my candidacy, I lost, and I, I tried to, this is this is amazing. You know, you can say whatever you want about the 2020 election, but I did the math. I look at this, I lost by 11,000 votes. I go, I can't make up 11,000 votes. You know what I mean? Even if we found statistical anomalies and all that mm. stuff, that's what I mean. I can't, you know, I'm not going to be able to overcome that. I try to call that cat. I go, that night, like four in the morning, calling to concede the election, mm-hmm. right? Because you should, right? Yep. He wouldn't take the phone call. Interesting. Not interesting. That's an egotistical person mm. whose, whose entire being is based on being a politician. Who liked being called congressman. Have people open their doors for him. And I got so close to beating him. Like all throughout the night, I was ahead. And then like fifteen thousand votes show up at you know two thirty in the morning or whatever. You know, I get it. Check. They're, they're counting ballots that come in. I get it. Um, he was so angry, he wouldn't take a phone call. That's someone who has no business being in leadership anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. I've heard of sore losers, sore winners. (laughs) What? No. So um, yeah, I decided to to run again because I was talking to Sarah Jane. I mean, really that night I go, this is not gonna bode well for the country. Not me personally. I mean, my ego, it's over here. This is not about me. Um, It's not. It's about our country and our grandkids. At that point we had... Six grandkids. You know, we have eight now. So I understood that. I had no idea it was going to get this bad this fast. No one could predict this. You just can't. You could not. But I decided to run again. I waited. I shepherded everything. I did some changes in my team. And then we wound up running the number one political campaign in the entire nation for 2021 from Prairie du You know, 5,600 people. And then what, what, what makes you classify something as the number one political campaign in the whole country? So what the inside baseball stuff, because everybody understands intuitively or they just know it, um, is that in order to get a word out, you have to be able to raise enough funds to, to get the word out. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't get any money from my campaign. You can take a salary from a campaign. I don't, I just don't think that's, you should do that. But you have to buy television, advertising, cable, you print media. you got to pay a staff, you know, all this stuff, gasoline, whatever. So, um, yeah, we, we raised more money than any Republican challenger in the entire nation in 2021.
0: What, but, what drove that?
1: Uh, me and my team. I have an exceptionally good team. I am so incredibly proud of my team. And you, you can perform at a, a high level for only a certain period of time. You know this. You've got to sleep at some time so how do you how do you pull off sustained superior performance you make sure that you assemble the best team you possibly can so i have incredibly dedicated people who are all on board for the right reasons i interviewed every single one of them personally and make sure that they're in this for something beyond themselves which is the country that's why we're successful our mission is completely pure the message is pure and we're here for the right reasons we want to save our country and that's very very rare i think um there are some fantastic people in public office and leadership right now. There are, they're fantastic. A lot of them, but other people are just kind of there. They're the dude that was the Mar ops instructor for 15 years, you know, a trade at TRADET. they're doing a function, but you know, why are they doing it? That's why we're successful.
0: So what does this look like from here on out from what, what what's the next, how, how many months are we around now?
1: Not, we're 42 days I 42 think? days away Something like
0: that and what does the next 42 days look like i work um i um meeting 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 this is my schedule
1: <laughs> i've been doing this for three years dude
0: who do you meet with
1: i meet with a bunch of different people um my favorite meetings are with the guys in the district the people i'm going to be representing mm. i mean, what is going on man like how is your farm doing what is affecting you so that you can or cannot um, provide for your family as well? The biggest thing we get, input costs through the roof. Joe Biden canceled the Keystone Pipeline. Okay, check this out. Man. A guy named Tim Michaels is running for governor. And he's been a friend of mine for, I don't know, three years now or something. Start, he had, his dad started a company. had a couple hundred employees. He has like 8,000 now. He's going to win. He calls me. Like the day or so after Biden gets sworn in, he goes, Derek, I just had to lay off 700 people. And I'm like, what do you mean, Tim? He's like, uh, we were doing the um, electrical substations for the Keystone Pipeline. And Biden just went, flick, shut that off. So the cascading effects of these things, people don't understand, and I do intuitively because I wrote all these plans and did this stuff and it's something I'm good at. So here's what happens when you stop natural gas movement <laughs> and production. Do you know where fertilizer comes from, Jaco? Yeah natural gas. That's the nitrogen that comes from. That's where it comes from. The the Wisconsin's third district is one of the top five users of propane and natural gas for home heating in the country. It gets 20 degrees below zero. Okay. You're not going to like put an extra sweater on like your mom used to tell you. What about solar? Okay. (laughs) So check it out. Um, We, we want our grandchildren to have power, right? But we have kids now. So the Biden administration is trying to skip ahead a generation. You can't do that. Um, the guy named Brent Ridge runs um, Dairyland Power, one of the biggest co-ops in my district. And we have a lot of co-ops because we're rural. Um, they did the math. So the Biden administration wants to be carbon neutral by 2030. Okay? Oh, a noble goal. You know what that takes? You have to double the amount of all of the nuke plants on the entire planet. So that is not a real goal. It's just not. So people are eating it right now because of these horrible policies. It's just that simple and it's gotta stop, man.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, what, what people that are in business with me, and there's a lot of them, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of different businesses. Sure. And, and anyone that works with me knows that when I'm looking at things and we're you know, assessing something, I'll get to a point where I say, all right, run the numbers right you know which is okay well tell me what this is going to cost how much we're going to put into it what's the ROI look like what's the risk run the numbers tell me what the numbers look like cuz that's ultimately and and then the numbers you have to put that into the calculus of your gut feeling for sure but you can have a p- really strong, positive gut feeling like, hey, this sounds like a great idea, and then you run the numbers, and you go, "Hey, eh, yeah. it's probably not gonna work, <laughs> man. Like, exactly. that's just too much. Yeah. Sometimes you go, you know what, this is not a bad idea. You run the numbers, and you go, hey, this actually makes sense, we can we can go for this. And and that's why I kind of, you know, when, when you mentioned the closing of the pipeline, it kind of, you, you yeah. know, because emotionally you think, well, this seems like a positive thing. You know, people can look at it and go, hey, well, we don't wanna have to put, um, Pipes through fields and, and then you run the numbers, right? And you, you, you just run the numbers and, and it's not even really that close. You know, it's the k- type of math that you just said, Oh, right. we got to double the number of nuclear plants in the next three years. If we're going to get there, that's in, what it's going to take
1: in the world,
0: in the world. Right. Uh, so check this out,
1: man. We
0: don't do enough running of
1: numbers. Right. So, you know, when you go to your house, let's say you're going to wash your hands and you turn the faucet on, and a little train car comes with water, right? And then you and then you pour the water out of the train car. <laughs> no, how does it get into your faucet? Yeah. With a pipe. Yeah, because it's the most efficient way to transport fluids. Not even close. Right, and it's so. And then you want to like light your gas stove. Does a little train come? And then you get gas. No, that comes from a pipe too. Now trains themselves, we. I'm in Prairie Shane, It's like Train City USA, man. Transporting bulk items like coal, for instance. And some other large POL things, if you're going from point to point, you have to have a railhead, right? So there's room for both of them. That's what folks don't understand. But we have a carbon-based economy. And if you shut off the the fossil fuels that produce carbon, you're going to destroy the economy. That's what's happening right now. You look at the food costs, dude. Farmers have not locked... Wait, check it out. Farmers have not locked in fertilizer prices for next year. Oof. So it's going to keep going up and up and up. There's a um, there's two fertilizer plants that just closed in England. There's one in uh, Finland that went down. I think they're only going to produce 24% of the fertilizer that they did before. Russia is not going to export fertilizer anymore, probably for the foreseeable future, at least five years. I mean, they hate us right now. And there's these weird tariffs that we put on Morocco where they, they produce... Um, some fertilizers. What can Congress do? One thing, right now, uh, put pressure on the Biden administration to make sure that they open up permitting, and then get rid of the tariffs on Morocco. So, looking at all of these problems, people get really worried about a lot of stuff. And uh, the current leadership of the Republican Party, uh, Kevin McCarthy in the House, we actually have a plan. And they've done a tremendous job of looking at all the problems and figuring out which one of these from the federal level will we have the greatest probability of having the greatest positive effect. You know, that's how you're supposed to govern. So I'm, I'm actually very excited. Um, the polls are looking outstanding for us. Um, when I say us, I mean my team, um, you know, I'm the head of the team, but us, we've done this together. So I anticipate, you know, being elected in November and, giving it a go man (laughs) it's not funny i think about that dude i come from the meanest circumstances
0: the meanest well you know uh when i kind of opened with that thing from george washington that i'd heard that quote read that quote a while ago Mm -hmm. and you know you think about you know i i just know your career and know what you know as an average team guy what you've done, what you've been put through, what your family's been put through. And it's like how much are you gonna ask from somebody? And I look at the political arena and it makes me sick to my stomach. Like I, I I don't I just think that just sounds the whole thing sounds awful. When you show me your calendar and I know you're going to a bunch of meetings with people that half of them, you know, are horrible people, half of them are awesome people. You got all this craziness going on. Um
1: I would not say that. I think okay. the vast majority of them are awesome. Okay. Like vast.
0: Uh, Well, I know that when I look at what happens to politicians, uh, and you're going to get just, you know, your your life becomes this uh, target, right? And so I know that there's a ton of sacrifice that you and your family are going to make again in order to do this. And uh, yeah, I guess you wouldn't be setting meetings with people that despise you, but look, the press is going to absolutely, at least Already have. A, a, a large majority of the press will absolutely despise you and they're gonna do everything to attack you. Yep. They're gonna attack your family, they're gonna attack your values, your home, your people, your community, and everything. Yep. Um, so the the fact that you're like, yeah, cool, roger that. Gonna step up and, and, and try and make this happen and it looks like you are gonna make this thing
1: happen. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna run a wood there. <laughs> um.
0: When you look at um, all the divisiveness in the country right now, mm-hmm. One of the things that I've given an answer to a bunch is something that we already kind of discussed, which is, hey, I look at something from my perspective and I think, well, you know, Derek has a good point there. Maybe he's right about this. Mm -hmm. Instead of me thinking, well, Derek doesn't agree with every single point that I have, so therefore, he's completely wrong about everything and I actually hate him. How, how How are we trying to open people's minds up to get hey, you know what, I I get that you see things a little bit differently, and you come from a different background than me, and I I, I understand your idea. At least I know where you're trying to go, and it seems like in most cases, we can be at least somewhat aligned. You know, you want for food prices to come down. Right. That seems like a universal, Universal. universal thing. Who would say, no, we think food should be more expensive? So what we really should be talking about is if you want food prices to come down, and let's say you're a conservative, you're a conservative Republican, mm-hmm. and let's say I'm a, a left-wing Democrat, right? and I want food prices to come down. So we're actually aligned on right. where we wanna go on that particular subject. Correct. Right. But it's like there can't even be agreement on that, and we can't have a logical discussion about, well, okay, well, run the numbers Show me the numbers that you're looking at and I'll show you the numbers that we're looking at and let's have a discussion about how we can actually make the food prices come down. Let's try and figure something out. How do we cross that bridge?
1: Well, how I plan on crossing that bridge. First and foremost, everyone needs to understand that I will work with anybody who's willing to put the interest of the country above their own. I don't care who you are. I will work with you. And I've proven that over 26 years and working the most diverse environments and hostile straight up hostile environments people trying to kill me environment so if you're going to put the betterment of the country in your congressional district above your own personal interest i'm on board um and this is this is what i tell people it echoes what you're you're saying i said um you're going to agree with people oftentimes 90 percent of the time you know if i agree with somebody 90 percent of the time that's that's a big win right How many people here can look themselves in the mirror and honestly say that you agree with your spouse 90% of the time? (laughs) Almost nobody, Mm -hmm. right? So finding common ground, that's the term. Finding common ground is imperative to make sure that you can actually govern. And when you do things strictly on party lines, you lose the ability to closely identify common ground. How Congress has gotten around this is, say, put these big omnibus bills together. So you're going to, using your example, this is going to um, unleash unleash American energy. Therefore, the input costs for farming are going to go down. That means food costs are going to go down. Or this is going to decrease the price of diesel fuel, which decreases the transportation costs. You you understand, right? And then they'll put something in here like, um, but we're going to have red flag laws, and you're going to have your guns confiscated, confiscated by the state. You know, which I fundamentally did. That is just wrong, right? And they put them in the same bill so that they can vote on it for or against it and they can justify it when they go back to their district. That's got to stop. It has to stop because in no way, shape, or form do I support red flag laws. I'll give you an example. A well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state, the right for the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's the entire text of the Second Amendment, dude. So that's out, but lowering food cost is in. So in order to hold Congress accountable, Congress has to write clean legislation so that I know exactly where Jocko and Echo sit on an issue. Mm-hmm. That's got to happen. Are we going to be able to pull it off? I don't know. Um, but one of the things that I will do that everybody can count on is I will do me. Meaning, like, the first pledge that I make to everybody is I will not buy, sell, or trade individual stocks as long as I'm a sitting member of Congress. I will not do that. And people are like, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about that gal? I'm going to do me. I'm going to make sure that all the things I'm doing are as morally and ethically and legally correct as I possibly can as a human being when I'm in Congress. I'll start there. And courage is contagious. We talked about that. I mean, ideally... People will see that, and the people that I'm working with, they'll want to do that too. I mean, people inherently, you know, they they want to do things in a way that's beneficial for other people. The American people are, are benevolent. We're the most generous country that has ever existed. Our populace, you know, the regular people on the street. So if you give them the opportunity to do what's right, a lot of people are going to do what's right. They just need to see somebody else do it. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah. And I, and I think um, America right now, you're, you know, you're looking at anybody looks at some bill that's coming before Congress, coming before the House, and it's whatever, 792 and they pages. They don't even read it. And, and, and th- there's not one person in America that goes, that seems like a f- good thing. And you could go down a whole laundry list of things that every American says, this is bullshit. What this is bullshit. What you just talked about, like having these multiple different
1: uh, omnibus
3: eh, bills.
0: Yeah, omnibus bills where you got all these different categories that are being voted on in one bill. Every American, every American goes, that's bullshit. And there's only so long that the politicians can continue to get away with this bullshit. Before Americans, because you got to remember, we're the people that were like, "Oh, you're gonna raise the the, the tax on tea by two p- two cents per uh, per freaking giant bundle of tea." Yeah. No, actually, we're gonna we're gonna fight you.
2: Right.
0: At some point, Americans go, "Hey, we're, this is bullshit," and we're gonna get rid of you people that are doing these things that are clearly wrong. They're so clearly wrong, everybody knows it, and eventually. We say, oh yeah, we're done. Now look, I I don't even think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a a change like you're like you're the personification of this change, right? It's not like everyone's gonna get voted out tomorrow, but people are gonna, oh yeah. Here's a guy that just went in there and said, yeah, this is a dumb idea. Hey, you guys can't pull a wool over the Americans' eyes anymore. I think over the next several years, maybe even take five, maybe even take 10 years, we're gonna get rid of these things
1: that are, for lack of a better word, bullshit. Right. So I I want to be very clear. Uh, I am absolutely, I 100% um, disavow any type of political violence. I do not condone it, and that will be the destruction of America. If we take up arms against each other, I'll have no part of that. First time I went to combat, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Civil War. Went to Afghanistan, turned into a Civil War. Iraq turned into a Civil War. Worked in the Horn of Africa, Civil War. I'll have no part of that in the United States of America. So how do we prevent that from happening, which I will do anything to prevent that from happening. Political violence cannot be part of a discussion in the United States of America. It cannot. So how do we do it? We do it by what you're saying. We exercise our rights as American citizens and we get into office and we make the change from the inside. And here's, here's what's, this is fascinating, dude. Okay, ask not what your country can do for you Ask what you can do for your country. You know who said that? John F. Kennedy. JFK said that, right? So he said that in 62, 61, 62. So we went from that, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. We went from that to you're gonna do everything I say you're gonna do. You're gonna lock your church, you're gonna close your business, you're not gonna be able to speak to each other freely. You're going to go to this store, but not that store. You're going to get a shot or you're going to get fired. You're going to do everything. You're going to give me your money, the sweat of your brow. And if you don't willingly do this, I'm going to use the full course of power of the federal government to compel you to do this. You got that? Who's that? That's AOC. So the Democrat Party went from JFK to AOC in 50-some years. How? Republicans let them. Something goes wrong on a mission, who's the first person you look at, dude? It's you. What did I do or not do that led to the failure of this mission? Hopefully you're saying, what did I do or not do that led to the, the success of this mission, right? You never take anything for granted. So we as Republicans have let people get away with this for such an extended period of time. And we've done it by saying, oh, they, you know, they have the best interests of the country at hand. They really do. They want the same thing that we do. Yeah, in some aspects you do, but in other, others, they don't. I mean, there's people that want to fundamentally change the system of government that is, has proven to be the best one in the entire planet, like ever in history. You know what I mean? We, we're one of the youngest countries in the world. We have the oldest standing constitution in the world. Why? Because it is an incredibly functional and beautiful document. There's people that want to throw the constitution out. Why? Because they're not getting away. The They're not getting their way. So the, the beauty about our constitution is something's wrong in it. The mechanism for changing it is written into the document itself. It's the amendment process. You know what I mean? So use it. And they're like, "Well, it's so hard." Yeah, it's, it's very. Supposed to be. It's supposed to be yeah. right. So are we changing stuff? Yeah. Are people waking up to um, how destructive this uh, the policies have the destructive effect that the policies are having? Yeah. I mean, I see people that are just beside themselves. That $10,000 college thing, they want to give $10,000 for you know student mm-hmm. debt relief. Check yeah. this out, man. 75% of my district does not have a four-year degree. Only 9% of my district, 9% has a graduate degree. And I did a roundtable with some folks, and they're all blue-collar folks. This is what, 21,000 square feet? Yeah. Okay. Um, this I'll, gym is twenty one
0: thousand square feet. Is what
1: he's referring. to. Yeah, sorry. The gym is twenty one thousand square feet. We do this thing at a uh, HVAC place. It's probably 20,000 square feet. Two brothers got this thing going. They don't have high. Sc- they have high school degrees and then trade school. We're in this you know beautiful business. All the people are real estate agents whatever. No one had a four year degree. And we're like well what do you think about this I'm like well this is absurd right so i do this round table i go to a place to get lunch i'm talking to hannah is her name h in the beginning h at the end i remember because she said that <laughs> stuck in my mind and we started talking she goes yeah, oh this is great you know I'm, i graduated from college i have all this debt you know i'm working here as a bartender and her degree was uh degree was in um, gosh she was like uh, public or communications with an art major or art minor right i'm like well you know Kind of get what you pay for there. And she goes, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Okay, Hannah, hold on a sec. Let's say this place is banging on a Friday night, and there's, there's 100 people here. And you go, all right, time out. 91 of you go over there. Okay, and the, 90, and the other nine, you sit here. All 91 of you are going to pay for everything they eat and drink tonight. And you're going to sit there and watch them. I go, would they be mad? She goes, well, yeah, that's just unfair. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so 91 folks, even if they were just getting it, you know, you're talking 25 bucks a person, maybe. I mean, that would, they could have lavished dinner, right? So this is $2,500 out of every single American taxpayer's wallet to pay for somebody to have dinner on you. No, <laughs> that doesn't make sense on any planet, Right. And I told her that. And she's like, wow, yeah, that is just unfair. I'm like, Hannah.
0: Hannah run the numbers.
1: Walk the dog, that's what I call it. Walk the dog on this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it doesn't make sense. So people are seeing that. And um, I, I there's so many reasons to be discouraged, Jocko. And you can always find one. You can always find no. You know, no's easy. It is, it's the easiest in the world. No, um, and it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to, to get down, you know. Um, with all the circumstances. But I'm telling you, if you wake up in the morning like I do and you just have an overwhelming sense of gratitude like we talked about, just be so gracious. Look at yourself. Look Look at the things, the opportunities that you have as a human being in the United States of America right now to create something, to do something worthwhile, to help somebody out. That doesn't exist in a lot of countries. And when you just take a minute and go like, Yeah, you know, I'm gonna go buy that cop a cup of coffee. I I do that for cops, and they're like, "I'm sorry, sir, I can't accept a gift." And I'm like, "You're not the boss of me, dude. Like, I don't work for you, police officer X. You know, I'm buying you this cup of coffee, dude." Or you help out a homeless person, like help them out, not just throw money at them because that doesn't help anybody. I mean, it it doesn't. The ability to do that is unique, and we got to remember that. And you got to tell your friends, and you got to encourage your friends to tell other people. Because you've seen the downward spiral, you know, when things start going bad, and then it, it's just that. It's this this negative feedback loop that people get into. We're in a negative feedback loop, but the inputs are coming from our government. And we should be in a negative feedback loop, feedback loop right now. So how do you get out of that? You put goodness in there. That's what we're doing. It's I mean, some things are... So basically, you know, philosophical. And it was interesting teaching special reconnaissance because you have time to reflect. When do you have time to reflect? And I mean, they they started with videos. Remember, they're like two minutes long. Then they made them one minute. Then they made them 30 seconds. Oh, you're just
0: talking about social media videos? Yeah. They're like,
1: what, seven seconds now? Yeah. So there's been a crunch of the attention span of people. And it, it removes your ability to reflect on something. You truly don't understand something until you ponder it and teaching special reconnaissance and doing special reconnaissance missions, you have time to ponder things. (laughs) Yes, you do. And and (laughs) and sometimes (laughs) pondering while you're freezing and starving, you know? But, um, and again, starting as a kid, you know, reading so much, reading takes time and reflection. And when you're, you're putting an author's voice inside of your mind, because you're reading it and you're, you know, you're hearing that inside. You're not receiving this like a television image. It's you internalize it. Uh, so eat. we're putting some good in there. Yeah, we're injecting good into the cycle. Seriously, so be encouraged. Yeah. I want uh, you, listen, people, I want you to be encouraged. You live in the best country in the world if you're in America right now. And if you're not, move here legally, emigrate to the United States of America, and we'll welcome you with open arms if you do it the right way. Check.
0: That gets us, I think that gets us up to date. That's where we're at, right? Mm um, hmm. Uh-huh.
1: These are excellent, by the way. Oh,
0: thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I haven't Um, had
1: one before. I guess you have this whole line of everything, right? We got a line
0: of a bunch of stuff, you know. We got a, we got, um, we're making supplements here. Okay. Um, We've got clothing. We got factories. We got two factories in Maine. We got maybe three factories in Maine, depending on what you're counting as a factory. And we just consolidated, or we're in the process of consolidating our two factories in North Carolina to one factory in North Carolina.
1: What? Well, back up. Why don't you have a factory in the 3rd Congressional District of the State of Wisconsin? We can talk about that. Let's talk about that.
0: Um, we can go out there and check it out. And uh, as as we grow, which we're growing very rapidly right now, and the reason we're growing very rapidly is because people want American-made stuff. Sure.
1: Hey, dude, we've got power. We've got rail. Uh, during the um, summertime, we've got the Mississippi River to move uh, commodities up and down. And I have the most fantastical, hardworking uh, ethically sound, badass Americans in the world.
0: Well, the, 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 that, is, that is outstanding and, and that's what we're looking for. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of, a little bit maxed out our resources, our human capital up sure. in Maine. We, we're still getting people that are, I mean, the beautiful thing is we've got people coming in from all over the country are moving to Maine, moving to North Carolina, knocking on the door, I want a job, okay. I want to work here. It's, it's outstanding. Uh, and so that's been a huge part of it. Um, just growing that, but yeah, we make boots, we make jeans, wow. we make hunt hunt gear. So American-made hunt gear. I don't, I don't think there's anyone more patriotic in the world than hunters,
1: in the in the country than hunters. Hunters need to vote. Like thirty percent of hunters vote. Oh, really? That little. We all sit around and are you know griping about this and that. They don't vote. If you're a hunter vote, Yeah. register and vote.
0: No Can, doubt about it. You, you There's can't, no doubt about it. Though. If you're
1: not part of the problem
0: for hunting rights, for gun rights, for conservation, <laughs> right? Like you, you definitely want to be voting if you're not voting right now, yeah. but they definitely, I mean, I, I saw a bunch of hunters over the past, you know, September, the past hunting season for me. And everyone is just so excited about being able to buy stuff that's made in America yeah. because this is, you're literally taking money out of our economy when you buy something from overseas You're just giving that money not only giving it overseas But they don't care about the environment at all right. in these overseas factories They definitely don't c- take care of their workers. Their workers have no future their slave labor. It's 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 horrible
1: We are paying the Chinese Communist Party to op- oppress their people and plot against the existence of the United States
0: that's what is
1: happening (laughs) and that's
0: what me and my friends are doing to push back against that is bringing manufacturing back to america i mean you, you love it we we are literally we have have literally brought machines that were outsourced to america from america 30 years ago we've bought them and have brought them back to america and are putting them to use. That's what we're actually doing it uh, right now. I mean, we got we got great documentation of this too. Uh, so that's what we're doing.
1: Well, I tell you what, dude. Um, let me get elected, keep working hard, and then uh, do an official visit. Yeah, because well, um, I listen. Um, I will do anything to help the people that I'm representing. But those three conditions morally, ethically, and legally correct. Then we got we have to find ways. That meet those parameters, with the end state of your congressional district, the state, and the country are better off because of it. Yeah, and well. it's it's just a little nose to the grindstone, dude. You really got to think about what's taking place and then act on it. Yeah, right? well, a
0: huge part, a huge part of what you're talking about is you know you've said it multiple times. Is you got to put your country first, and you know when when I've as I've gotten involved in the in these industries. You, you can look back very easily in the last 40 years, 30 years really of the history of the companies in America where you can increase your profits, your short term profits by a little percentage and therefore you make this and oh, you know what? We can, we can, it's gonna cost us more to get it over here, it's gonna cost us to transport it, it's gonna cost us time but we got plenty of time because we're big and it's gonna save us you know, 38 cents a garment. Let's do it, and that's what they did. Right, and they did that over and over again. And then they spread the lie of now. now what they what we were up against is they said, "Oh, you can't. It's impossible to do this in America now." Right, it's impossible. It's like, are you kidding me? This is America. It's America. If this is America. We right. outproduce the world. Right, and we can build anything. We can make anything. And that's what we're doing. And look, it starts with boots and clothing and jeans and jujitsu geese and rash guards. That's where we're starting. I don't know where we're going to finish. Yeah. But that's what we're doing.
1: So we we have a we have a globally integrated economy. Right? It's carbon based. And and I'm okay with that to to an extent. What I'm not is I'm not a globalist. And I understand that we need to make sure that we're putting the interests of our people first. And the best example of this is Let's say you're um, you know, a 98-year-old person with osteoporosis, whatever, and you see someone being assaulted. Can you help that person? No. I mean, you can call the police, mm-hmm. but you can't get in there. So you, you have to be strong in order to help somebody. And this administration either doesn't understand that or they don't care. So when you are – the difference between equality and equity – is um, everyone should have the everyone should have the ability to start with a level playing field. Do you know what I mean? And then you you succeed or fail, predicated on your God-given gifts and your drive, right? But if I force you to perform less so that you have equity, vice equality. It ruins everything. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, Thomas Soul is brilliant.
0: Yeah. We've been kind of exploring bringing him out to oh uh, bring gosh. him on the podcast. because you do. We've can I talked here? about him a bunch. And, uh, and he's definitely had a big influence on the way that I think.
1: Quality of opportunity, not outcome. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Right? Just it. brilliant, man.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Echo. Yeah. What's up, man? Do you have any questions?
3: Yeah. Let's rewind a little bit. Oh, oh. Real oh. quick. Oh, boy. You're right. working at a gas station. Yes. Did you have any roommates at that time? No, I was working at Drysdale Chevron. So you could work at Chevron and have your own apartment. Granted, we're starving for <laughs> sure. Wait, so check this <laughs> out. Um,
1: you guys, are you, do you track um, Dennis Prager? Yeah. Okay. okay, so Prager, you they did you know those series of four-minute videos. Mm-hmm. They they did this one. There's, if you do three things, doesn't matter where you start on the lower socio- socioeconomic scale, you're going to wind up in the middle class. Mm-hmm. You graduate from high school. You do not have a child out of wedlock, and you have a full-time job. That could be at the gas station. That could be anywhere, right? So you do these three things. Statistically, you're going to wind up in the middle class. Mm -hmm. It just takes those things. And a lot of people give guff about um, intergenerational wealth transfer, right? Well, we were raised dirt poor. But my ma, because she was a hard worker, when she died, she had a home. And... We sold the home because we didn't want to live there. And then we had to pay a bunch of taxes. And then we received this, you know, a little nest egg from my mom. That's money that went from one generation to another. That is intergenerational wealth transfer. And all it takes, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, look, it's, you don't get to make up the, I, we're SEALs. SEALs make up definitions of words all the time, by the way. <laughs> okay. <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> They'll change your name. You know, uh, Jason, I'll say his name, Jason Gabell. Uh, Jason yeah. Okay, so J-Bell's his nickname. He was in Buds, and they're like...
0: Were you in Buds with him?
1: No, I was not. He's after me. Oh, okay. So Jay bells nickname, you know, Jason Bell.
0: He was my. He was my LPO when I was at Team 7.
1: Okay, he just uh, finished directing an episode of SEAL Team. Oh, over, right. Over okay. in Jordan, I think. Yeah, so we're buddies. I did him... Uh, he asked me, he's like, hey, I want you to play an airships captain in a movie I, I'm directing with Nicolas Cage. And I'm like, okay. When I was working at the cafe. I've never chased acting before. But he called me because they're friends. I'm like, all right, sure, I'll do that. But um, so J-Bell, he's in Bud's, and they're like, get over here. And I'm like, get over here, Cable. And he's like, it's Cabell. And he's like, don't church it up. <laughs> your, <laughs> your name is Cable. So it's, it'll literally change your, your name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sorry. Yeah, gas station, Poor.
3: Yeah, but you had your own apartment, though. Sure, I'm just saying. It seems like here, here in San Diego, anyway. If I work at Chevron, I don't think I'm getting my own apartment.
1: Then move. Can you or get a different job? Well,
0: uh, honestly, we there's people that here that live here that work at Chevron that live somewhere. They have yeah. apartments or something, right?
3: But with a roommate or something I mean, like this.
0: Look, you actually, you know, when when guys are in the military here, especially they're young guys in the military, they're they're if they got a family, they're either having to live on house basing or maybe they go out in town. Uh,
1: and a lot of them are on, on uh wick and snap and all that stuff. So you yeah. have, so when well, we were raising our kids um, and, and this is a, it's a choice that you can make. So Sarah was an RN. She was an ICU nurse and I was a E four, I guess. And we had our second child. And I think I made E five by then. And we just looked at it and said, Hey, look, her economic earning potential was three times what mine was, but we said, we have these kids and we chose to invest in the children. You know what I mean? So Sarah stayed home since we had our second child and we supported ourselves um, off a single enlisted person's salary. And we had, um, what's that? It's the um, WIC, Women, Infant and Children, you know, like coupons to get milk Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I mean, we were poor, but relatively speaking, you know, if you, you, you project it across the globe, we're still incredibly wealthy. Mm -hmm. If you look at that in perspective. And I think when the department of the army just came on and said, Hey, instead of paying enlisted people more, put them on food stamps. That's an issue. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a way for them to save money in the long run, right? Which is not giving them, you're not raising their base pay, which means you don't have to pay their retirement as much. But Echo, what was your yeah, what was sorry. your point in saying that? Like, uh, it's I'm
3: making the comparison, but you make a good point too because, and this was actually kind of maybe a few years after that. I remember I had a roommate too, though. But my portion of the rent was like four hundred fifty bucks or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. and I was making like. 300 bucks every two weeks <laughs> so i was making like 600 bucks <laughs> where <laughs> like was this that, you know i, you know, oh, I okay yeah. uh, bro you, March, you were so, living large so your was point that, is wait
0: were you moving moving company moving? no 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 that, was this? The, moving
3: company was my first summer job but, but uh, you made good I money was, moving right? i was a part-time bouncer at that time
0: bro, you ain't Shocking. gonna make a bunch of money for being a part-time bouncer
3: no 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 i'm just making the comparison with like how much you can make versus what you can kind of live off of and have your own mm. apartment and whatever and you know what i'm biased that's why cause I'm like I look at like the apartment rent right now and it's like 3000 3500 $4, Three hundred is where? what I'm hearing. You're saying I, in San yeah, Diego? Yeah, exactly right. But San where? Diego in in UTC. Yeah, oh, come and on, like that man. Kind of, there's so, places in
0: even in even in San Diego, which is super expensive. Right? There's places that are way cheaper than that.
3: In fact, I would actually even say most places are going to be way cheaper than that Definitely. in all of probably California. Really, when you think about, I mean, there's yeah. certain designated yeah. cities that's like okay, yeah. it's crazy, but everywhere else is probably a lot cheaper. But you make a good point where it's like. Yeah, I worked at Chevron, but then even you saying like, Oh yeah, you're starving, it's kinda like, okay, there that's kinda the deal. No one's really starving now. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's got which their I'm phone thank- and I'm they got their
1: this. I'm thankful that people are not hungry.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fully, but that's a whole different thing though. Right than as far as like what what I was kinda trying to compare. Yeah. But well, it, I don't think we're way off. I think I think it's kinda similar now. I think just now we're just distracted by way more things, you know. But,
0: but you also gotta look at what you're gonna accept. And what you're going to do about it? Because I, <laughs> I, I was in Iraq. We hit this target building, and we roll in there. And there's a family, whatever, living there. And there's a bad guy, and we got the bad guy. And we're now we're like looking at this place where he lives. And uh, in the, it was basically one big room, and then like two smaller sleeping rooms. But in the one big room, there was the kitchen where they made the food, and then there was like a, or there was like a sink to make to, to do dishes it was the kitchen. Then there was a, a small bench or table to prep the food and then right next to that was the shitter. It right. was like a little, and it wasn't it wasn't a toilet, it was a trough that had right. a little hole but you would shit right there. Right. And these things were separated by no more than 5 feet. Yeah. If I moved in there Within 30 seconds, I'd be assessing how we're gonna do this different, what changes we're gonna make, we're gonna make this thing better, we're not gonna, we're not gonna shit where we eat, that's just the general rule, we're, right. we're gonna make change. Now, this family had been living there for a long time. Right. And I noticed that wherever we would go, there would be some guys in the platoon that'd be like, oh, we're moving into this building now? Cool, here's what I'm gonna do. They start fixing stuff, they start making stuff, right. they start building stuff, they get everything set up, they'd, free, they'd get a fan from somewhere, they'd rig that, they'd make it work. Guys, guys would just take... Take action to improve their situation that they're in. And some people aren't. So if you're in an apartment and you're working at Chevron and you're starving, you go, hey, you know what? This sucks. I think this sucks. I'm going to go and see what the US military, if there's an opportunity for me there. That's Derek. You know, I'm working at Wendy's. Guess what? Working at Wendy's sucks. It sucks working at Wendy's.
1: They have these fantastic uh, potato wedges for Oh, breakfast. believe me, I'm not,
0: I'm not knocking. Yeah. I, I can't say I didn't no, there. really dig Wendy's. Right. But I'm, I'm looking at it going, hey, you know what? This sucks, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna do this for a long time. I, I wanna find something else. Okay, what, are the, what options do they have in the US military for me? You and I both kind of look towards the military, but no matter where you're at, you look around and go, hey, you know what? Where I'm at right now kind of sucks. And if you're thinking that right now, then you say, "Okay, why does it suck? What do I need to do to improve it? How can I start building in the right direction?" But you, so know, you know, when we, we, looked, at, when we looked at when uh, we looked at how things were being manufactured, the only way to manufacture something is do it overseas. That sucks. Right. And my my business partner Pete said, "That sucks. I want to make stuff in America." Had to go and find a freaking loom and pull it out of an abandoned factory and get that thing working again and find people that knew how to work it. Why? Because it sucked, and we're going to do something about it. It sucks that we couldn't get boots that we wanted, that were made in America. Cool, that sucks. What are we gonna do about it? So, if you're in a situation that sucks, don't just sit there and grovel in it. Figure out what you can do to make some adjustments. And listen, there are there hard times that hit people. Yeah, you know that's a classic extreme ownership question that I'll get. Hey. I've been hit with this disease, been hit with cancer. I mean, the, I, I remember distinctly, I got asked this question uh, uh, at a live event. A woman said, you know, my, 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 ch- my child, it was a daughter, daughter has cancer. How can I take ownership of that? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to take ownership of that? How is that my fault? And I said, no, it's not your fault, obviously, that your child got cancer. Right. <clears throat> what you take ownership of is how you
1: respond to it. Right, so, so I, I see what you're saying. So here is the, the, the nexus of personal responsibility and uh, governmental control. So the government's job is to make sure that the playing field is level. And also, we've gotten to the point where we seem to have demonized labor. So we have to not take away the dignity of labor. You know what I mean? Like, I have a picture on my phone. I'm handing a, a young guy named Joey his first paycheck that he ever earned in his life. You know what I mean? He'll remember that 250 bucks the rest of his life. Raleigh Bevins handed me my first check at a movie theater. I remember that, I remember the guy's name. That was 50 years ago or whatever, you know? No, 50, I'm 53, so 35 years, 40 years, whatever it is, I don't know, right? So I remember Raleigh Bevins doing that. So, what has taken place in the United States of America is that for some reason we've allowed these um, folks to convince people that if you work with your hands, you're lower and you're lesser. So, even for some people, they're okay with their circumstances by working at Wendy's. And we have to understand that it's okay if that's what you're going to do. But then again, if you want something more, you that's the part, part where you got to look inside. And I think that's what you're articulating. If you're not happy with your circumstance and the level or the playing field is level because the government has set conditions for everybody, level, and you're living in a place where you don't want to be, it's up to you to facilitate that change,
0: Well, uh, Of course, there's people, that's another leadership question I could ask. You know, I got Fred, and Fred, he comes to work from nine to five, but he's he's not motivated to do anything else, he's perfectly fine, just just work it. And and I say, oh, you've got a great person then that's satisfied with where they're at, they're doing their job every day, they're working hard, it doesn't mean turn your turn your back on them and think, "Well, I'm never going to pay attention to Fred again." No, it means every six months you check in with Fred and you say, "Hey, Fred, I know you're waiting for your kids to you know get through middle school, or you're going to a lot of their games. Now that your kid left middle school, you, do you are you thinking about maybe moving into a leadership position? Nope, I want to wait till they're done with high school. Hey, cool, no problem.
1: I appreciate the work you're doing. Are you familiar with the concept of the regimental cor- uh, corporal?
0: Speak to me on the
1: regimental corporal. All right. So in the British Army, they have something It's called the regimental corporal. Like in the American military, you have to promote, promote, promote. Or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they have people that are corporals. Yep,
0: For life. Right. Because yep, for their career.
1: They are the best weapons technician in the world, and they really want to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's – it's not the English dream, clearly, but – that's where that guy wants to be. So it the the beauty of the United States of America, and we got to get back to this because we're getting away from it, is when you work yourself into a place where you're content, it's okay to be content. I mean, it's nice to be content. It, not complacent. There's a difference. Yeah. So when you're content with your family situation, your school and your job and all that stuff, that's awesome. That's your American dream, man. You I, don't, you don't I, have I, to have a mansion in Beverly Hills. We've been just fooled.
0: I have guys that tag me in... Uh social media yeah. of like plumbing installs that yeah. are super freaking dialed. Or right. they're putting an electrical sub-panel and everything is squared away and they're like, yeah, check, check, it check this. It. It's, it's like, out, hell right? yeah, absolutely, 100%. That's yes, a trade, know. that's a skill, and that's awesome. And I'm super stoked when I see that stuff. Yeah. And that's, again, it, one thing I'm very lucky is that you know I work with my consulting company, Echelon Front, we work with companies all over the country and all over the world. And so I get to travel into wherever North Dakota and go out and check out the oil rigs that are being yeah. drilled, the the, the drills, the guys working, what they're doing. Those freaking guys are awesome. The linemen up in Michigan, you know, hanging wires, going through Wisconsin, yeah, in Wisconsin, all over. Right, and and these people are skilled. They've got a badass job. They know that their job is completely me. They literally supply. Uh, power to yeah. the country it's freaking outstanding so
1: lineman, right yeah i'm going around right off the great river road highway 35 goes along the mississippi i'll have the largest contiguous section of the mississippi river of any congressional district in the country boom bam it's beautiful see this great house on a corner big uh garage it's like a three-story place truck in the driveway This new pontoon boat with like a 250 horsepower motor or something outboard, you know, cost more than my truck. And so I whip in there because I want to put a yard sign in this guy's. I go, hey man, do you mind me asking what you do for a living? Lineman. Lineman. Went to trade school for two years. And he had two kids, and I can't remember his wife's name for Pete's sake. She was a radiology technician, not a radiologist, but she, Mm -hmm. okay, she went to trade school. So you got these two people who went to trade school, graduated from high school, and they're balling, dude. <laughs> I mean, they're living their American dream. They Hell got their yeah. kids in school, and oh, and I'm like, why is that wrong? And you you can't fix a toilet with a degree in 13th century French poetry, <laughs> and you just can't. So why have we demonized the things that built this nation? You know right. what I mean you You can't you can't pump the air conditioning in this room if you have a degree in communications you've got to be a metal worker you know what i mean you have to be a sheet metal worker to make ducting so one of the things that i'm i'm doing Jocko, is i consider myself and i think that the federal government needs to do more cheerleading like we have to cheerlead i did a a, i got endorsed by 16 in the 19 sheriffs in my district you know what i mean because they know I have their back, 100%. I, I've lived in ungoverned space. I'm unwilling to do that in the United States. How do you prevent that? You support the police officers. That's what you do, right? So I'm, I'm all in with these guys uh, all the time. And I'm also all in with people that are going to trade school. So we have to have people in positions of power go, it is so awesome that you are protecting me. When I tell them, this, okay, dude, So I'm a Christian. I was never afraid of being injured or killed. It was not part of my calculation. You know what I mean? I, for me, I've read the end of the book, seen the end of the movie. I know what happens. Even be, I used to joke, um, you know, with my wife about this, and it was just kind of. Sounds afraid. like. She's a frog real mansion. funny. Well, she's a. Fro- <laughs> no, she's a frogman's wife. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I was never worried about that. What I was worried about was my family you know what I mean? I was worried about my family. And the most precious gift you can have from my personal experience in a combat environment is like a two-hour nap. Right?
2: It's
0: nice.
1: You it's get two thing. hours of sleep when things are squirrely. Why can you get that two-hour nap? Because your brothers have guns and they're looking out and they're protecting you in your sleep. That's something I cherished and I still do. Who does that for my family? Police mm-hmm. Police officers. That's a gift. And when when people are demonizing them, they just don't understand that. These people are literally watching your children as they sleep to make sure they're not harmed. What is more honorable than that and noble? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. same thing with the guys and gals that are building our country. Yeah,
0: Same thing when you flip on that electrical switch. It's
1: honorable and it's noble. And things don't work without that. So the federal government needs to cheerlead. We need to tell people you're not you're only here because these people are working so hard. That's why you could drive your car to work. That's why you're eating. You know, that's why you have clothes. These are things that don't take these you know fancy pants degrees. And I don't have an issue. I mean, I, I went to law school. You know what I mean? I get it. Higher education is very important. Graduate degrees are important. By the way, I finished my first year of law school and then did full time Congress. So I'm technically on a sabbatical. Which got it. <clears throat> I'm. I may have, or may not get back to. Well, I'm going to have a greater positive effect writing laws than I will interpreting them. Yeah. And again, you know, I, I got into that. I went to that for intellectual curiosity, not to, you know, be Perry Mason or something like that. But anyway, so that's the next thing I'm doing: cheerleading. Check.
0: Uh, Echo. Sorry, was that Echo, the only I
1: question? That was the oh only that's was, the only one. That's the only one. comparison. Just
3: trying got, comparison. He's got. to test
0: him a little bit. You know, he's yeah, going to yeah. be up against the big dogs, the big uh,
3: tough questions. That's it for right now. How about okay. that? Okay.
0: Yeah. Right on. Derek, any closing thoughts, man?
3: Um, gosh, I, uh, I,
1: again, I want people to be encouraged. And, you know, how are you encouraged is you you sit down and you, you practice, actively practice gratitude for what you got. And you understand that you are empowered to change your circumstances. And I know that because I was raised dirt poor, in a single home, high school dropout, the whole works and jerks, and I'm going to Congress next year. So if I can do this, you can do it. It's it's the same reason I told you, man. I knew I could graduate from Buds because there is a seal with a trident on in front of me. Right? Yeah. It means it's possible. So act. <laughs> right?
0: It is possible. So act. Uh awesome words to close on. Thanks for joining us, brother. Um Thanks for your service.
1: Well, thank you for yours. Echo, it's really nice to meet you, man. Likewise. I'll give you my phone number. You can call me. Anytime. Right on. Sounds good. I think you already got it. Mm. Well, God bless you guys and your, your listeners. And um, I just wish you the best. Oh, hey, where's that thing? Oh, we got a baseball bat. Check this out. So, this, this was made by the Three Brothers Bat Company, it's in Wisconsin. Got a hold of these guys. A couple of them played college balls. It's actually um, four brothers and a sister, but um, they decided to start making um, baseball bats. So this bat is it meets all the standards to be used in uh, major league baseball. And these dudes just bought this old building and started making these things.
0: Yeah. So what happened with bats is I did like a okay long story on the bats. <laughs> Here's the long story on the bats. When I went to Iraq. Platoon Commander, 2003. Yeah. When did you get, went, go over there for the first time, 2004?
1: I was in Afghanistan in 2003, okay, w- I was in Iraq in 2005. When you
0: were in Afghanistan in 2003, yeah. was America sending a bunch of stuff over there, just like care packages and like sunscreen? Still and, are. Okay, so that was going on, and for whatever reason, you know, are sending sunscreen and like M&M, just all this stuff, and they would send baseball gloves. And baseballs and baseball bats. So for whatever reason, we had a bunch of baseball bats. So we're living in a, you know, this was 2003. The war had kind of, well, this is this fall of 2004, 2003. So the war wasn't very deep. There wasn't all this infrastructure. There wasn't like a Wendy's on the base and everything like this yet. And so we were briefing in this crappy room with, uh, you know, like a sheet hung up on the wall and. I would brief I would go and get one of the bats from this MWR the morale welfare and recreation. welfare and recreation bucket which had three baseball bats in it that somebody some cool person from America threw them into a package and sent them to support the troops yeah which is beautiful and so I would walk over there grab a bat and that's how I'd brief and one of my friends has a has a video of me briefing with the bat and you know that's just like how I would point to like hey we're gonna go in over here we're gonna move over there and so then when I was a task unit commander, it kind of continued on that we had like a briefing bat. And then we did a video the other day and I was just like talking about leadership or something. I was holding a bat and I forget what bat it was. It'll be that one in the future. Well, in the future will be this one. But then pe- now a bunch of people, now I have, I think, I think I've received five baseball bats from various people, custom baseball bats. I mean, there's, you can see there's another one right over there. I got a few of them at home, but uh, yeah, this one is, this one's awesome. Made in America. It says Def Core, Pro Model, Def 434.
1: Three brothers back company, dude. That is in my district and that is another example of people saying I've got a good idea. There's, I'll tell you one I gotta get out of here. Um, there's Weiser Concrete, a concrete Company. Mm-hmm. Joe just died, um, gosh it must have been six, seven months ago. Joe had like six kids and they had a house And marries his wife. Um, And he's like, I got an idea. I I got an idea how to make concrete this certain way to make this stuff. And it's going to work. Mortgages his house again. So you want to talk about risk? Mm -hmm. Homeless Wisconsin, six kids. That would happen if he failed. But he's like, I have an idea. He died a billionaire. Jack. Because he was like... I'm I mean, stick with check it. on the
0: billionaire part, not right. so much to check on the diet right. part, but I mean, if right. you're going to die, you might as well do it as a millionaire. Right. right? So <laughs>
1: the, the, that's one of the things When people demonize business people. I'm like the hardest The I would say the wealthiest people I know are, are some of the hardest working people I know. And you know, that's their thing. That's their metric. As I, I started off, you know, I, I still do this. Um, I collect relationships with people. To me, that is my metric of success. How many people do I know? At what level do I know them? How can I help them? Will they reach out to me if they need something? And can I facilitate that need? That's my metric of success. It always has been. My, Sarah Jane and I live on my enlisted retirement. You know what I mean? Because we don't chase nickels. I just It's not my thing. But if, if, that, if you're a businessman your metric or woman, your metric of success, more likely than not, is financial. So therefore, if you're doing this, and that's the metric of success, you should be wealthy as a business person. If you're a doctor, you should be carrying people. Um, so I love that about this job because I get to meet the most fascinating people, like those dudes that make that bat for you. <laughs> and it was an offhand comment. When, when you know this you just...
0: Jocko guy? When, when did you meet him, and when did they get the bat to you to bring it, hand carry it to me?
1: That got shipped overnight. <laughs> to my mother-in-law's house. It was delivered yesterday. Check. So I talked to the cats, and they're like, oh, you know this Jocko Willink guy? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and they said it like, you know, because apparently he's a big deal. I mean, I don't know this stuff, dude. Like, I didn't know you had this. It was like, you don't know he has all this stuff? Because I started looking into it, and he wrote all these books and everything, and I go, like, if you're an accountant... You know, would you like go watch a movie about tax season or read a bu- you know, you wouldn't. I'm like, so why would I be looking into Jocko? I know the dude, he's an awesome cat. You know, why would I be following him around? So um I didn't, but they're like, that <laughs> offhand comment, <laughs> oh, you know, and I go, yeah, man, I've known it for like 30 years, I guess, now, from T1, right? And they're like, you are kidding me. I'm like, no. So they follow your podcast. They watch it. I think that they've taken a lot of your lessons because they're incredibly squared away dudes. Check. And family's awesome. And just their name, they have you know too many siblings to put it on a bat. That's yeah. why it's Three Brothers Bat Company. But yeah. yeah, so that was made for you. And I have one. Um, it's in my office. Which uh, I think, again, cheerleading for people is what – that should be a primary function of politics. I mean, clearly you must write um, functional policy and translate ideas into action, and you do that through the written word vice gun, like we used to do. But the rest is just tell, telling people about other people. You know what I mean? Like if, 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 I could, if I could tell you about all the people that I know and what they've done, it, it would just be an endless conversation, and to me, that means I am the most successful person in the world because that's my metric of success.
0: Jack, awesome man. Well, uh, like I said, thanks for coming down. Yeah, appreciate it. God bless um, you, man. Thanks for thanks for the service of your family. Yeah. By the way, uh, uh, what the what the military wives and spouses for the
1: bomb—go
0: through. Um, incredible. The kids that grow up. You know, with, without dads around, without moms around, um, really, really challenging. So, thanks to your family as well. And uh, I'll pass it on. I wish you fair wins, fair wins, following C's, and a lot of votes.
1: There you go. Get them. All right, bro. Thanks. Cheers. Oh, one more thing. I yeah. forgot. VanOrdenforCongress.com.
0: dot com. orden dot com. On Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, you're at Derek D E R R I C K Van Orden. O-R-D-E-N. And you're up on all those different platforms. you got, you got a YouTube channel as well. I do. So we can you can explore. you got lots of 30-second clips on there. Those are your little
1: ad spots. I do those. I also make these little videos mm-hmm. and just try to explain things. Where do you put your little videos? Uh, they go mostly on my social media. Okay. And then we also rip them over to YouTube. So so
0: it's all out there if you want to get uh, a feel a better feel if th- over 3 hours of conversation if you don't think like you feel feel like you know Derek yet you want to get to know you might know Derek do you know Vano? Do you know Vano? Do you know that's DVO? What DVO. <laughs> all right. DVO. All
1: right. DVO. All right. Thanks, man.
0: Man. Thank you. You bet. And with that Derek Van Orden Vano DVO DVO that's what we're going with. Yeah. DVO. DVO has left the building. Uh lot going on mm-hmm. in the life of DVO. It's true. Some pretty uh important themes throughout the talk, the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um and you know what I just realized, you know, he was in that movie. Did you know he was in that movie? He mentioned it, but then we and I like pulled him back to talk about something else, mm. and then mm-hmm. he's using the movie. The movie is called Act of
3: Valor. Mm, I did not know that. Yeah,
0: so he was he played a scene in that movie. He was an interrogator and came in, and he it was pretty funny. Uh, just he was kind of like just him, mm-hmm. with, but mm-hmm. being super aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, man, what a uh, what a dedication to jump back into this stuff and get after it but um hey with that appreciate everyone listening appreciate the support and if you want to support
3: you mentioned something real quick okay thank you I was things. waiting
0: for you to chime in with something or you're just sitting there looking things. puzzled all the time I wasn't looking I was, I, was, I, was I was thinking getting. about
3: the movie actually okay and him playing himself not much of a stretch not no uh, not a, a demonstration of range Yep, you know, similar to to you to and my your acting experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty pretty much the exact same thing. But you guys did mention something in passing, mm-hmm. seemingly insignificant, but it stuck with me. You're talking about he talked about the the incident where he left his rifle in the other car, yeah. and you know, and he yep. just has his pistol. <clears throat> and you said that's not going to cut it. No, <laughs> <laughs> real quick. Well, why is that? I mean, I can kind of maybe understand, but yeah. obviously, I've never been in a gunfight.
0: So what he's talking about is. The enemy puts indirect fire on you, which is mortars, maybe rockets. Rockets aren't really indirect, but but they basically are are lobbing bombs at you. Mm. The purpose of them doing that is number one, that could could be just a singular purpose. Hey, we're just gonna try and randomly throw some bombs at people and kill whoever we can. Mm. Random mortars, maybe we kill one or two Americans. Mm-hmm. But they could also do it so when mortars are coming, you have to get you have to take cover. Mm. So now we get the enemy can get you to take cover. So they drop a couple mortars while you're hiding. They commence a ground assault, either with a vehicle-borne IED. That's what they would do in Ramadi. It was it was it was it was very aggressive. They would they would hit you with indirect fire. As the indirect fire is hitting, they start laying down machine gun fire. As the machine gun fire is coming in, then comes. IEDs vehicle-born IEDs and they overran several several uh, Friendly positions in Ramadi by doing that mm. horrible so When you so he gets mortared, and he had told the guys like hey when you get mortared give it a second m- See what's going on let it develop and see what's developing But then as soon as it kind of stops boom push out perimeter. Mm-hmm. So then if anybody attacks you can fend them off yeah. so He's pushing out to set perimeter, and all he has is a pistol. A pistol's not a good weapon for a freaking... <laughs> Gunfight, So,
3: and that's really the part that I was wondering. Like, it's, I feel like I understand it kind of, but uh, the way I've heard you say it, and my friend Jeremy, he mentioned this one time we were talking. He was like, Yeah, a pistol is no match for a rifle. I was not even close. So I'm like, Okay, see how you say it's not even close? Like, why is that? Because a rifle, you can just aim it better, you more can, range. Well, the, or range like is, yeah, the range
0: is 10 times as much. 10 times? Yeah, like, like sure, yeah. you can shoot someone kind of at 50 yards with a. With a pistol, if you're yeah. really, really good, anyone, just about anyone, can pick up a rifle and shoot someone at fifty yards, uh, like almost anyone. Uh, okay. But you can also shoot someone at five hundred yards. Yeah, I see. So it may even be more that because because really, it might be like twelve or fifteen times more accurate and ease of shooting. Yeah, just for a rifle, the and then the impact, right? Uh, you know, the impact of a rifle round is devastating. You know, it can punch through body armor, certain levels of body armor. It can grip through a car, you know, certain parts of a car. So you're just going to get better penetration with a battle rifle than you are with a pistol. Oh, pistol. Okay. And got what's it. funny is when I got to the SEAL teams, we used to use the the MP5, which is a nine millimeter submachine gun. Mm-hmm. A submachine gun is basically a, a machine gun that shoots pistol rounds. Yeah. So they're small, small little bullets, and luckily we went away from that because it's cool for literal close quarters combat so if you're inside of a building yeah. th- then it there is some potential for it mm. actually i think that the that weapon the a submachine gun like the heckler and koch mp5 mm. i think is a great weapon for like home self defense mm. because it's not going to yeah. penetrate through a bunch of walls It's really easy to shoot, like really easy to shoot. Mm -hmm. So, if someone, you know, let's say you wanted to get your wife a self home defense weapon. Now, look, she could also get a shotgun, you know, maybe a a smaller gauge shotgun, like not a 12 gauge shotgun, but like a 20 gauge shotgun. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy to handle, kind of a point and shoot scenario. So, that would be one option, but I think a good option. Another good option would be a little submachine gun. That she feels super confident shooting. Can we <laughs> shoot
3: machine guns in California?
0: Well, it's a semi-automatic. Semi-automatic. I don't know what the legality is on the MP5. Well, no, you can't have a fully automatic weapon in California.
3: No, I don't think so.
0: Without certain mm, like criteria. Criteria met. Yeah. They have some, the, the the laws. The laws in California for weapons are really kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Because all they do is they create a law. And then the gun manufacturers create things that get around the law. Yeah, and in it's just weird.
3: Yeah, they just make make, this weird dance. It's a weird dance. Yeah, Yeah.
0: instead of just being like, "Hey, look, this is what you," and it doesn't make any sense. The whole I mean, look, you hear this stuff all the time about
3: what is it like? What's an assault
0: weapon? Yeah, and well, an assault weapon is this type of thing.
3: AR-15 assault rifle. (laughs) Fifteen. No, (laughs) but
0: it's because of like the shape of the grip. Like a pistol grip makes yeah. it an assault. A yeah. muzzle f- suppressor, a flash suppressor makes it an yeah. assault weapon, yeah. w- according to this weird thing. Yeah. So instead of having a pistol grip, they'll like put this weird shaped thing that yeah. serves the same function as a pistol grip. Yeah, but it's actually not a pistol grip at all. Yeah, but yeah. it is a pistol grip. It gives you the same function. They just do all this dumb, yeah. th- silly things, and, cool. and then and then the gun manufacturers make something that just overcomes that. Maybe it's a little bit. Awkward or whatever, yeah. not as cool, mm-hmm. but it's just a silly dance.
3: Yeah. It's just this, like you said, it's a silly dance. Yeah, the and when I was browsing, um, mm-hmm. oh, one of the guys there said something real. One of the main guys mm-hmm. there might have been the owner. He he said something interesting where he's like, "Yeah, well, one of the main problems is the people who make the laws and even propose the laws. They don't know anything they, about. They don't laws. know anything about. It. Yep. So they the it just it's the the mere conception of the law comes out of ignorance
0: yeah it's just it's just dumb yeah it's just dumb so it's uh one of the things about california that's just really bizarre yeah it's just bizarre they They make laws that that literally don't make sense
3: yeah Yep, when they land, right? It's like, wait, are you, we're like, what's the issue here that this yeah. solved? And they're like, well, this. Well, it goes well. That didn't even solve it. Didn't it. even solve it. It actually kind of made some more issues. Yeah, and then made a lot of people mad who were kind of in the know. <laughs> Meanwhile, I buy. I can buy a Desert Eagle, fifty calibers, fifty caliber round. Uh-huh. I can shoot with one hand if I want to. That seems kind of dangerous.
0: It's, could be. I mean, depending on what kind of. Thing you're shooting at, and yep. yeah, how dumb you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty dumb, you so <laughs> let's face it. But yeah,
3: yeah, that is uh, that's interesting though. That's good, interesting to know about the pistol versus rifle. Yeah. I d- yeah, I didn't realize it was that much oh, of a it's difference. A huge difference. It's yeah. it's almost incomparable. Probably because I'm thinking of movies. You know how like you know Lethal Weapon. Remember? Yeah, but well apart, I don't know. He was just really good at aiming. Yeah. So he would be like, at aim. what distance? I don't know. Um, oh yeah he
0: shoots the smiley face into the target yes yes
3: yes yes. that was one of the parts for sure yeah Yeah.
0: that's really depending on what range that would be difficult to do I think in the movie it was far away like pretty far shot yeah he pushed it it
3: all the way back that was kind of the thing yeah Yeah. very interesting there you go he said a lot of cool stuff though and you know I like hearing cool stuff Mm -hmm. like presented a certain way Um, but at the same time, I do like kind of like what it says. And when you think about it, you'd be like, oh, man, that, you know how it kind of dawns on you, mm-hmm. like certain things. He said, if you keep your head down, you won't see the world around you.
0: That's a really good point.
3: And even metaphorically, you know, how like if you stay in the house all the time <laughs> or if you don't, you know, like they say work life balance. I get that that that's a thing or whatever. But let's say you don't see your friends or you don't you don't socialize or or you don't talk to a bunch of people as much because you're focused on this or that or whatever you you'll miss out a lot of beneficial like beneficial stuff for you and your fi- your whole goals mm-hmm. right you can miss out on key elements of those goals if yeah. you keep your head down in in well, all these ways. when I was days. in my
0: first seal platoon we my my leading petty officer he he had this thing like he would want to go out party right
3: Hell yeah
0: and he would say always go out
3: yeah
0: like oh, you know we're gonna always go out. And I took that because I was like, hardcore, right? Yeah, and we sure. always go out. Like, always go out. Surfing, go out. Like, there's a training mission, oh. always go out. Oh, okay. Always go out. So, yeah, always go out, party, cool, get it. I'm, I'm, I approve of that when I was younger, you yeah. know? <laughs> now I'm older, I'm not so much supported <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Yes. But always go out, really always go mean. on the mission, always step up, always volunteer, always go out. Always, the waves, always go out, yeah. you know? Snow, always go out. Yeah, always go out so I I kind of adopted that attitude a little bit not only strictly with going Going out out. and partying this guy one time he was super drunk and he's I I think he had to go to the bathroom and we pull back into the barracks in Guam Mm -hmm. and he like gets out of the car and it's dark and he goes running across the from the parking lot to the barracks there was you know maybe a hundred yards of grass Mm -hmm. and he goes running and I'm just kind of walking because I'm not in a rush and I, I think he had to go to the bathroom
2: mm.
0: And all of a sudden he just like disappears falls sure. And then I just hear this ow <laughs> 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 you, Yeah, he fell in a hole or something he's just like mm. ow. That was his reaction. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so there you go, oh, um, go out. With that um, we talked about some of the stuff today. Hey Jocko fuel get yourself some of these goat new improve flavors Uh, do i i I am apologizing for the previous flavors
3: comparatively
0: comparatively speaking the new flavors are just amazing and look with the old flavors it was like oh you know i got my favorite flavor don't really like that one this one's okay yeah actually don't want to drink this one over here you know it's kind of that thing yeah now no matter what you can go party mix yeah. and you're gonna like them all right <laughs> you can yeah. grab one grab the other they all they're all freaking tasty yep so if you if you were uh a little bit maybe cautious or concerned before you tried me like uh, now you can just get right in there just get right in there and get yourself some some
3: go oh, yeah. some jocko go Fully good for you, by the way. Which is a
0: totally different thing.
3: I was watching this show, a mm-hmm. Netflix show. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't my show. My okay. wife was watching okay. it. My so wife's watching a show you're <laughs> observing. Yeah. You're, you're I'm in the vicinity, of my yeah. eyes. I saw. Uh-huh. And they were, they were making this um, th- this scene of this girl. She was trying to travel. She was running away from some killers. Or mm. I don't know, something. So she was driving up to Maine, by the way. Sure and she stops at this convenience. She's all disheveled. She shops at this, con- and she's a disheveled character. Mm. Just to begin with, you Mm -hmm. know, like doesn't have her shit together kind of thing. She stops at this convenience store and just gets like in the scene, I see what they were trying to portray there that she's just like doesn't make the greatest of decisions in general. So like what she get, like chips and like, you know, not a good, not a sandwich or not a, you know, she's getting chips and then she gets an energy drink. And it was like a recognizable brand. Oh, And I was like, hmm, interesting how they chose that that. brand Mm -hmm. for to to. Convey this message about this character in this point of the story. Interesting. And I was thinking, oh, because, you know, it's a brand you recognize. You're like, okay, cool. Uh, Oh, I recognize the brand on the movie, kind of a thing. I was like, oh, that'd be cool if there was some Jocko Go in there, right? But But it wouldn't fit the character. It would not fit the the scene. Exactly right. had to be squared away. Squared away. It had to be legit. (laughs) Exactly right, bro. I thought thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Bro, without opening up a can, ADCC, you and I just went to the ADCC championship. Oh, yeah. Which was awesome. We'll do some kind of a thing about that. A little debrief on that, yeah, that at a good. future time. Yeah. But we had the ready-to-drink milk there. How many of them did you have? Oh, one. Really? Yeah. I had like because I was there for. 2 How did you only
1: have
3: one? Well, because I drank one, and then it was like the next opportunity I had. They were like oh. Brian was like because he couldn't give them away or something like that. Something happened where they couldn't give away.
0: You got scammed. Dude. Yeah. When they they're I like, had, oh, here I they are. I like five a day. Yeah. I was there for two days. Yeah. They're freaking so tasty and so good for you. Hey, and this is cool. Good news. We have been having a hard time finding the manufacturer for it. We just got cleared hot. We just built that relationship with this manufacturer. We got millions of ready-to-drink milk coming. It's delicious. Way better than other brands, which oh, yeah. you and I just had a little taste test comparison, and it's not even close, it's yeah. not even close. Yeah. And this is a big brand we tried. As a matter of fact, my daughter, Rana, mm. did a taste test yeah. while we were at camp. Chocolate milk, legit like
3: chocolate regular. milk yeah.
0: from a milk carton, like, like, like ready-made chocolate milk, but yeah. not any kind of, pro- just chocolate milk that's just made to taste <clears throat> good yeah. versus mulk, mm-hmm. chocolate milk she picked up my my daughter Randall does not play around like yep. if she's gonna tell you what's up <laughs> she's looking she's schooling. yeah she's kind of like yep. offensive right she's kind of mm-hmm. like gonna bring it she kind of raised her eyebrows she's like oh damn yep. yep the milk so we got ready to drink milkk coming worldwide um well not worldwide really nationwide. nationwide you're gonna be able to order it uh so check that out jockofuel.com go to wawa go to wawa and just clean the shelves in there Let them know what's up. the The more you buy from Wawa, the more flavors they're going to bring in. The more we'll open up that supply chain. So go to Wawa, clear shelves. Vitamin Shop, we got Pink Mist at Vitamin Shop right now. It's the only place I think you can get it. We had to run that first run of them. Vitamin Shop's been awesome. They got everything in there. So go in there and just get some get some Pink Mist. It's tasty.
3: So we're at. A D C C as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna say who. Actually I'm gonna say who. It's my wife. She was like, Hey, this pink one is good. Mm-hmm. This would be perfect with vodka in it. <laughs> like, she said it. She said it and I was like, you know what, you're kinda right. Because remember back in the day, Red Bull vodka or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that was like kind of that was kind of like a, a death trap kind of thing. <laughs> like you're you're not doing the right thing with no. a Red Bull and a vodka no. and I'm then drinking them the all, all night. No. That's bad. But well, think about it the pink mist might balance out some of the repercussions yeah. of the v-
0: <laughs> look it's not the right thing but it's not it's less it's less wrong it's wrong yeah than going with red bull and vodka yeah. it's definitely less wrong than
3: that kind of balances itself out a little bit it's it, not balanced it, it feels it feels it's like not a v-
0: balance but it's a move in the right direction <laughs> let's face it we're not going out and drinking vodka and thinking that there's yeah, that so this is gonna make it okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. But it if felt you, like a violation. If,
0: if vodka's kind of on the schedule, yeah. <laughs> which I don't recommend, <laughs> right? It's not on my schedule at all, zero okay. percent.
2: Uh-huh.
0: But if it's on your schedule,
2: yeah.
0: And you want to mitigate the issues that you're gonna have, yeah. Then it's not gonna mitigate you going to jail. It's not gonna mitigate a DUI. No. It's not gonna mitigate you getting arrested. It's not no. gonna mit- mitigate you spending all your money on stupid shit. It's not gonna mitigate any of that.
3: No, probably not. It
0: may give you a little bit of a less. <laughs> Hangover in the morning, we'll go with that. Uh, so, there you go, jogglefuel.com get some of that. Originusa.com, just got back from my hunt. Mm. It's another one, we should just do a podcast about the hunt, lots yeah. of lessons, just, but hey, we made hunt gear. Remember I had said if, if the hunt gear wasn't ready, I was hunting in a loincloth, that was my plan. <laughs> Luckily, sure. yeah. d- didn't have to break it into the loincloth scenario. Everything is freaking legit, man. It's just so, so good to go. Um, super stoked. The team from Origin, the team in North Carolina, the team in Maine, everyone putting that stuff together, it's just turned out f- freaking legit. So stoked. And everyone's kind of stoked, man. Everybody that I saw that hunted was like, hell yeah, hell yeah thank you for making this in the United States of America.
3: Yeah, that's legit.
0: So. Did you shoot anything? Yes, I shot an elk. (laughs) Hell
3: yeah. I saw the (laughs) picture, just wanted to see
2: what up.
0: Bro, there's a lot, and there's a lot of people. This is a very tough year for hunting. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been a lot of rain Mm -hmm. out west, so there's been a lot of grass. A lot of grass means there's a lot of eating. That means the elk are fat, Mm -hmm. which means, apparently, and Talking to hunters they're like well all that fat on the elk means It's harder to kill them oh, for real? because they bleed less the blood doesn't flow as easily So it's been a really challenging year. There's a lot of people that that didn't get elk yeah. and uh, It's been a tough year. I was very lucky very fortunate to get one and, score. Yeah, and I'm at a point now. I got four elk with four arrows which yeah. is kind of I told that to Leif and Leif's like, dude, you are you freaking lucky bastard. I'm like, yeah, hey, I'll take it, man, hundred um, percent. Yeah.
3: Um. So what do you, what did you do with the elk? What do you mean? What did you do with the elk? Eating it. Yeah. Oh, so you bring it back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Of course. Oh, man. yeah. You drove, huh? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. I understand. It. Elk's for dinner, bro. Yeah, that's, I, that's, I understand. But that's you what's know, happening. you know, I'm just saying. Does everyone like if you shoot it? Is that the common thing? Oh, of course. I mean, it's
0: it's you know, it's a few hundred pounds worth of
3: meat. Yeah, but I've heard of like, oh, they'll give it to the who you know what? I'm thinking of this actually, a few stories I heard in like it was in a different country. Oh, okay. And then they give it to like the village or something like that.
0: Yeah, if there's villagers that were like starving,
3: maybe in Utah,
0: Utah, there's no (laughs) no (laughs) villagers starving in Utah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, But so we got the stuff made in America originusa.com if you want to support American company. That's bringing, like I told Derek, is there anything cooler than than buying machines in another country and that were sold to that country yeah. and bringing them back to America?
3: Yeah, it, conceptually mm, it cool is cool. Pretty cool to beat that one. One time, okay, remember back in the day the little, it's this little. Th- Wait, when? Back. <laughs> okay. It, uh, it's called Roller Racer. Do you remember that thing? What is it? It was like, okay, so think of a skateboard. Okay, think of a hard bicycle seat. Okay. But a little bit bigger. Okay. Bicycle handlebars okay. on a r- half of a s- super skinny skateboard with a pivot, <laughs> and then the front of the skateboard. Okay. So you sat on it with handlebars down like this, and you wiggle oh, it damn. back and forth, and it would go. Uh, I kind of right? remember it was like seeing racer. people on that thing. Yeah, yeah. It was I like, like a little I fat, didn't have one. As seen on TV scenarios. Mm-hmm. This is back in maybe ninety, maybe probably before that. Eighties, huh? eighties. Anyway. So one of our friend's neighbors had that, and they left it out on the road. They lived right up the road. Mm-hmm. So technically, I didn't steal it, but I, I just wanted to use it. So I grabbed it, and I used it for a few days. I was going to bring it back, for real. Mm-hmm. I, for real, I know, <laughs> likely story. This is not sounding good. I, I didn't bring it back. But I w- the plan was to bring it back at some point. right? So I was using it, and then I just left it out in my yard. That's how, right? I live on Kauai. A few days later, it was gone. And then we passed by that house every day and I saw it back at their house. I was like, oh, they came in kind of took it back or whatever then the, the guy the mean kid.
0: in a good way like oh they, oh they grabbed it back no big deal or kind of like what? Oh,
3: totally neutral in my opinion. I was, so was like oh, oh it's it theirs the yeah, yeah. you know yeah. like I wasn't going to return it yet I still want to play with it for a little bit but <laughs> hey man it is theirs so whatever and then the kid confronted me about it uh-huh. and he's like hey you thought you were all slick huh and I was like what do you mean he's like yeah because you ripped off the roller racer and I ripped it off back that's what he did with the looms what you guys did <laughs> same exact thing
2: man
0: i thought it was reach, cool
3: dude. i was like no, that. how your brain works
0: for the <laughs> first time i've kind of started to ponder bro. like how you got to that story from what i just said and try to connect them
3: it's the exact same thing is yeah. what i'm saying
0: OriginUSA.com. Get American-made stuff. We'll leave it at that. We won't. We'll, yes. we'll try not to <laughs> lure out any stories of madness <laughs> from uh, from you. So there you go.
3: Also, speaking of madness, Jocko Store. Jocko's Store. is called Jocko Store. So you go to JockoStore.com, where so you can get your discipline equals freedom shirts. We got a new one out. Standard issue. There's nothing standard about it. It's freaking awesome. That's This is the feedback I'm getting from the field. But, yeah, it's a good one. Also, we have the Shirt Locker, which is the, is the subscription service.
0: Seems like you've been getting a little wild on the Shirt Locker designs. Yes,
3: and we're going harder even <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the next few. Yeah. Let's say the next three months are going to be kind of like, okay, I see, I see what you did there. We're very excited about the new design. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Check.
0: Right on. That's uh, JockleStore.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget about um, the Jocko Underground, right? JockoUnderground.com. We don't know what's going to happen with this platform. Did Derek
3: say anything today that could get us banned? Maybe. He mentioned Donald Trump.
0: Oh, yeah. There you go. So that he, could be a flag. He said
3: the word Trump, so yeah, that could be grounds. So
0: in the event that we get banned because we don't control the platform that you're currently listening on, unless you're on Jocko Underground. If you're on Jocko Underground, we're good. We're still here. We're talking to you. But if you're not, you're like, wait, what happened? What Jocko and Echo just got lazy. They stopped making podcasts. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But if it does, we'll be ready. JockoOnTheGround.com. $8.18 a month to support that. And if you... We make a little extra podcast for that. We answer your questions if you want to get involved in that. If you can't afford it, we, we still want you in the game. Email assistance at jockowunderground.com. We got a YouTube channel. We got Psychological Warfare. We got D- Dakota Myers has got flipsidecanvas.com. I've written a bunch of books, P- published some books. Published a book by Holly McKay. Check that one out. And then the bu- you you know the books that I've written. If you don't, go to Amazon and put in Jocko Willink and then you'll see books that I've written and you can order some of them. You can order kids books. Get the kids, before you even, you know, you know how you gotta get the uh, oxygen mask on yourself first? Yes, I do. If you go to Amazon right now to go hey, you know what Jocko sounds like, he knows what he's talking about here. Don't order the adult book. Get your kids that wore your kid books first. Get the oxygen mask on them, then save yourself.
3: So the opposite of the airplane.
0: No, it's the same in the airplane. No, you gotta put on oh, yourself first. Oh, right. Point. Yes. Okay. Opposite of the opposite of the. Opp. You're right.
3: So I could see how you could get confused. Yeah. I'm saying because it seems like, hey, save the women and children first, kind mm. of a scenario. But mm. hey, you can't save nobody if you're suffocating. Yeah. See what I'm saying.
0: But we're if you're cognizant enough to order something from Amazon. Order the kids' books first, because you look. Your life is half over at this point. (laughs) You know, you got kids. You you've kind of already blown it in some cases, right? You're you're one foot in the grave. But your kids, they got their whole life ahead. Might as well get them on the path.
3: It's true. It's true.
0: Let them rise up.
3: The my daughter was she she learned her times tables last year and then this year she's in literally the the where, uh, where the had one mark yeah yep, yep. same exact scenario so but she learned her times table but she forgot all of a lot of them so she's doing this other stuff you know you know how you kind of need to know the times tables mm-hmm, right hundred percent same exact deal she starts crying and all this stuff she doesn't know her times tables she's nine years old she's, all this stuff I was like. Flash we read that flashcards made them boom right on the spot, man. On the spot, God. I said you read this whole book twice, by the way, and you're still crying about this right now. So immediately, flashcards on the spot. We do. We went slow; it was, a lot of it was review. She already All knew right. it, but so boom, we ironed out the wrinkles. Easy money. Back in the game. Back in the game. Back in the game. The manual. Yep.
0: Warrior kid, get your kids on the path. Uh, echelon Front Have a Leadership Consultancy. We solve problems through leadership. Oh, you heard me talk about a little bit today. When you got problems. In a company, in an organization, the problems are leadership problems. You want us to help you solve those problems with these principles, go to echelonfront.com. We have some live events you can come to. They get sold out. Next one we're doing is Atlanta, it's sold out, sorry. But if you want to go, go to there, check out events, come to some of our live events. We have a online training academy. Where, look, leadership takes practice not once a year, not once every six months, you need to get in the gym, the leadership gym, the life gym, extremeownership.com. Come on there, take some courses. We're on there live a bunch. You can ask me questions, go check that out. And if you wanna support service members active and retired, you wanna support their families, gold star families, check out Mark Lee's mom, Mama Lee. She's got a charity organization. If you want to donate to that or you want to get involved go to americasmightywarriors.org and don't forget about micah fink taking taking vets out into the wilderness so they can find solutions to their problems in the darkness they can find the light heroesandhorses.org and once again if you want to follow and support Derek Van O, Van Orden, DVO. That's what yeah. we're going with? Yeah. DVO. You want to, want to support him? VanOrdenForCongress.com. And then on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, he's at Derek Van Orden. You can see the guy's got a, a big heart, and he's trying to help. I say we go support him. And it certainly, if you're in that district in Wisconsin, he brought me cheese, bro. Did you see that? Cheese curd, yeah. He brought me cheese. He brought me cookies, which you ate. I sampled, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You ate the cookies because we're not, the discipline doesn't allow cookies over on my side of the table. Uh, Cheese curd, which I have not tried before. Apparently, I got to cook it. No. No, 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 no. He said he said deep fry or something.
3: Oh, like you this. can. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. for sure. Cheese curd is like, do you know what that is technically? No, no. Well, you know, my wife is very, is from the Tilmuk cheese factory area. So hey. we go visit that one every year mm. when we go when I go. But it's the pre it's like it's it's one of the final processes before they do another one or two processes to make actual cheese. So it's like the base. Does it taste good? Mm. Depends how you do it. That one does because there's like garlic. Regular uh, cheese curd, not really. It's like I think
0: that stuff's getting
3: fried in a pan. That's yeah, what I think. Yeah, I can see that. I've never had fried. But it's cooked down, somehow. That one's
0: solid. It just seems, I don't know too, because he brought it in like a bag. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't, I don't think it's supposed to. It's supposed to be refrigerated. I could see how. He it pulled it out of the bottom of like a travel bag. DVO was not (laughs) forward thinking on his transport of cheese curd for Jocko. I think you might be right. For JKO. Yeah, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, But we appreciate it, Derek. We appreciate it. We will try it out. We will see what's up. Uh, Of course, that's that's Derek Van Orden on all those social media. And Echo and I are on there, too, if you want to follow us on the Twitter, on the Gram, on the Facebook. Echo's at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willink. Watch out for the algorithm, because it'll kinda, it'll kinda grab you. And thanks once again to Derek for joining us. Thanks for sharing some of those lessons learned, and thanks for everything you have done for America and what you are trying to do for America right now. We are here to support. And thanks to all of our military personnel that have served and are serving. Nothing more important than what you do to keep us free, and we are grateful for your service. And thanks to our police and law enforcement, firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, dispatchers, correctional officers, border patrol, Secret Service, all first responders. As Derek pointed out, you're the one that protects, you're the ones that protect our kids as they sleep at night and keep us safe. And we are grateful for your service as well. And everyone else out there. And we started off with some George Washington today. Close it out with a little George Washington as well. He said to be prepared for war is one of the most effectual means of preserving peace. And that goes for life as well. And you take a guy like Derek up from nothing and he's prepared for war his whole life and I think he's going to be ready for whatever politics can throw at him. And for the rest of us, I think we also have to prepare for war because it's coming. And look, I'm not talking about outright literal war, but in some form, in some form, you will be at war for your health, for your business, for your family, for your community. War comes in many forms, so be prepared for it. And of course, the best way to do that is to go out there every day and get after it. Until next
2: time, this is Echo and Jocko, out.